You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 607. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 22nd of February, 2024. In today's episode, a bullet penetrates a passenger jet which is heading towards an Indonesian runway. And an air traffic controller gets frustrated with a pilot for trying an instrument approach using a failing iPad. You can't legally fly an RNAV approach with an iPad. Also ahead, more news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 607 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in... New York City! Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. Captain Jeff, uh, I am Captain Jeff. A former U.S. Air Force pilot training instructor. No, I'm and, Captain Jeff. No, I am. I'm Captain no, Jeff. No, I'm pretty sure I'm I... I'm Captain Jeff. Hey, now. Stop it. <laughs> I'm Spartacus as well. Uh, as I was saying, uh, I was in the Air Force. I flew airplanes. And uh, I flew a bunch of them at uh, Delta Airlines as well. And I'm now retired. And that wonderful little voice you hear in the background is from his studio... A professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, is Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. And saying I, Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, reminds me of the day I uh, had Tony Curtis uh, visiting on the flight deck uh, of my fine aeroplane as we trolled across Canada. Sad that he is no longer with us. Well, that's great, except that um, the people listening to the podcast aren't going to hear our references that you're talking about. <laughs> oh, you're not going to – yeah, put it in. I'm, no, I'm, I'm not going to put ah. that in. No, no. You, it never happened, and you can't prove it unless you oh, watch okay. the video. Yes, <laughs> mm. <laughs> watch the video. I'm Spartacus. Okay, here we go. Uh, also joining us from – her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Great to see everyone. We are hoping that we'll be joined by another host as we uh, are in progress. Uh, we're thinking that uh, Nick Camacho might be able to join us today. The others are probably squarely out for this episode and we're going to miss them squarely absolutely without leave yes and uh, have a good show you guys okay Cheers, liz. Bye. thanks liz and let's move on to some aviation news
stand by for news. All right, we're going to start off with this from the Aviation Herald. Uh, is an accident. A uh, marathon Embraer ERJ-195 on behalf of Air Serbia. Uh, that's what it was painted all up in, the Air Serbia livery. A registration Oscar Yankee Golf uh, Delta Charlie performing flight 324 from Belgrade to Dusseldorf with 106 people on board. Lined up on runway 30 left at taxiway Delta 5. And that has uh, about 1,273 meters, 4,175 feet remaining. And uh, departed and uh, overran the end of the runway become uh, before becoming airborne. Following a collision with the high-precision approach lights of runway 12 right past the end of the runway, the aircraft became airborne about 500 meters, 650 feet uh, past the runway end, climbed through 50 feet, about 6,700 feet past, past the runway end. Wow. And stopped the climb at 4,000 feet, burned off fuel, returned to Belgrade for a landing on runway 30 left without further incident, about 55 minutes past their original departure. There were no injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. Yeah, just a little point there, uh, Jeff, I think Mm -hmm. 1,650 feet past the runway, uh, not 650 feet. Uh, Yeah, but at 50, uh, no, they were, I was talking about the 50 feet above ground level. No, no, uh, earlier, when you said 500 meters, uh, and you said 650 feet past the runway. Oh, 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 1,650. 1,650 feet. Oh, oh, you know, it's very important that we get these numbers right. Thank you for, (laughs) yeah, yeah, because, you know, you never know what kind of negative emails we're going to get with (laughs) conversion between meters and uh, Back to 50%. Yeah, we're always striving for that. Uh, Thank you very much for that. And uh, let's see, following the occurrence... The ILS of runway 12 right was downgraded from category three to category one. Yeah, because he took <laughs> out all the high precision lighting. Uh, so let's see. Passengers reported immediately after takeoff. Sounded like something broke. The aircraft shook. <laughs> yeah. Then they entered. A, they don't realize how lucky they are to be alive right now. Um, they entered a holding pattern for about an hour before returning to land at Belgrade. They were quickly escorted. They stayed airborne for an hour. Like, wow. Yeah. Uh, They were quickly escorted off the, or escorated off the uh, (laughs) aircraft. (laughs) Uh, They weren't told anything except it was a minor incident. A minor incident, nothing to see here. However, they, uh, the passengers could see something had broken off of the left wing. Uh, The airline reported the aircraft returned due to technical reasons and landed safely. Technically, our pilots messed up. Um, According to ADSB data, the aircraft lined up on runway 30 left via taxiway Delta 5, commenced takeoff in the direction of runway 30 left, and they were still on the ground uh, at, uh, as we mentioned before, 6,700 feet past the end of the runway. They were uh, airborne at 50 feet. So, yeah, just ahead of the motorway. Uh, That could have... uh, That could have been a mess as well. Um, According to air traffic control recordings heard by the Aviation Herald, the aircraft was cleared to line up runway 30 left at Delta 6. However, the aircraft entered the runway at Delta 5. 
ATC queried the crew and cleared the aircraft to backtrack on the runway to Delta 6. The crew, however, replied they were able to depart on 1,273 meters from Delta 5. They were wrong. Uh, the aircraft subsequently <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> clear, was cleared for takeoff. And then shortly after takeoff, the crew advised they needed to come back immediately. They had hit something on departure. Yeah, so but they uh, didn't come back immediately. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure that they probably Liz is saying you know like well they did come back well, immediately, but the they had question. to, you know, they had to uh, you know run checklists and and that For sort an of hour? thing and cut. Well, I don't know, Liz. I wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> um, Interesting I'm, though. I'm not sure. In this case, it's one of those things where you know you're not on fire, you're not running out of fuel. Um, it's not a time critical kind of thing. Okay. Um, I don't know what they were doing though during that time during the holding pattern. Getting their you know. story straight. Yeah, getting their story yeah, straight. Yeah, waiting for the uh, <laughs> voice recorder to be overwritten. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, what is the uh, what's the normal length right now? Not the twenty five hours, but the. Is it like two and a half a hours, hours or two hours or something like that? They they should have held for longer, I'm thinking. Yeah, I think you're right. I was being facetious, of course. Yes, of course. think I'm big. You know, I was wondering, at first I'm thinking, uh, well, I'm wondering if they just looked at the data like and and interpolated it wrong in like thinking, it's like mixing up the opposite direction of the runway, thinking they had a lot more room. But according to the air traffic control tapes that uh, Simon was talking about listening to they said that they were they were they replied they were able to depart on 1273 meters from delta 5 so hmm so much for that excuse yeah yeah uh, i i don't know whether it's just the fact that they uh, accepted a different uh, runway length for takeoff um or they just fudged the figures or they just uh, possibly uh, you know made a, a, an error in their performance calculations as well as taking a a shorter runway length um so we'll find out i'm no doubt in the uh inquiry when it's complete uh those uh, runway lights did a lot of damage didn't they they, they did. really beat it up it really made a big dent in the uh, yeah. left uh, horizontal stabilizer as well now they're know. supposed to be frangible uh, in other words, they're supposed to break on impact. The lights, um, not the airplane. <laughs> yes, in tr- indeed. Um, so, but perhaps they put them on slightly more substantial poles than than normal. But uh, I mean, I, I'm not an expert, but uh, I always remember being told that uh, don't worry too much about the lights if you're over on the runway. They're frangible; they should break up, which I guess they did. But they did a fair bit of damage to the aircraft at the they same did. time i'd like to point out though that belly fairing is not a structure as such it's it's an aerodynamic covering if it's anything like the one that's on the airbus so when you it's not that strong so it's quite easy to knock a hole and it's not part of the uh, aircraft um pressurized fuselage uh, however, the big score <laughs> yeah. that goes through the aircraft, that is part of That's the, the fuselage skin. skin. Yeah, that yes. is. So they're going to have trouble pressurizing. chunk out of the leading edge, yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they must be fairly that substantial. That could have gone so much more badly. 
Oh, indeed. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so Because everything worked for them. I mean, I guess that's part of the reason they felt comfortable drifting around for an hour was they didn't have a significant number of uh, faults indicating. Uh, although with that damage to the leading edge, I'd be surprised if they didn't have uh, pneumatic faults and hydraulic faults because mm -hmm. a lot of the, the uh, wires and cables and pipes and things um, run through that sort of area. I'm not familiar with the... ERJ, mind you, they might route them differently. But in the Airbus, that would have been uh, a few of the things that would have gone wrong. That may have been why they held for as long as they did. Maybe they were working through all the various indications. Um, oh, yeah, indeed. Indications. Talking to Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to line up an, another job with a different carrier, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, that's right. On know. the phone. <laughs> yeah. It was hiring. So they trundled oh. along past the end of the runway by 1,650 feet. Now, a lot of light aircraft can get airborne in that distance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, wow, that's, that's a lot. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. So... Uh, it's likely we'll learn more as the investigation is uh, is started and continues with this. Uh, mm -hmm. will be it'll be interesting to see exactly yeah. what was in their heads. Yeah. Okay, um, let's continue with, with this next one from the Aviation Herald. Um, it involves a Japan Airlines uh, 787-8. They were performing Flight 65 from San Diego, California to Tokyo, Narita. Departed Terminal 2 West on the ground there at San Diego and was taxiing for departure, runway 27. They were advised to expect backtracking on the runway and was cleared to taxi along taxiway Bravo and hold short of the runway at Bravo 8. But they missed the turn on the Bravo, continued straight onto Bravo 10, and went past the hold short line onto the runway. Meanwhile, a Delta Airlines um, Bombardier C-Series CS300, or uh, Airbus, uh, what, do we, what do we call those, uh, 220s, uh, registration 301 Delta Uniform, uh, performing flight 2287 from Seattle, Washington to San Diego, was on final approach to runway 9, and then was instructed to go around as a result of the runway incursion. The aircraft landed safely about 15 minutes later. The Japanese crew told to hold position when the controller noticed the conflict apologized. Uh, the Dreamliner departed about an hour later. Japan's Ministry of Transport reported J, uh, the JAL aircraft entered a wrong taxiway. The pilot told them he noticed something was odd. At the same time, the controller alerted them. However, the aircraft had already gone past the hold short line. So obviously, well, it seems obvious to me. Um, Liz, if you'll pop up the airport diagram and well that one right there is perfect um so they're departing terminal two west uh heading north uh toward the runway so you'll notice uh there's like a dotted line that says a or alpha that's taxiway alpha the inner ramp and then bravo is the basically the taxiway that runs along the edge of the ramp to the north of alpha um, so there's no real like a separate Alpha and Bravo taxiway. It's just kind of all ramp area. And it's just the way that the signage and the paint lines are configured. And and I've experienced this kind of thing, and I'm sure you have as well, Captain Nick. Sometimes it's confusing when they're, 
they're designating certain taxiways on a continuous surface like this. And I can definitely see as you're going out, you're going to pass Alpha and then you're going to turn right on Bravo. Well, you don't recall as you're taxiing the airplane, it doesn't look like a great distance either. Uh, You're you're waiting to kind of pass another taxiway before you hang hang your right. And so that's probably what happened to the captain uh, on this uh, Japan Airlines flight. They they come to the first taxiway that they see and hang a right on it. However, he's going, "Eh, it doesn't look like a regular taxiway. That's because it's... It's a runway, and uh, so I, I can definitely see what happened here. And quite often uh, with those areas where there's just a huge expanse of concrete and everything's just painted on it, the white areas there will look very clear uh, between Bravo 10 and Bravo 9 and Bravo 8. They look like they ought to be grass or you know something other than concrete. Often they're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're just a painted oval on the ground. And uh, we all know that with the light in the wrong direction, I don't know if the ground was wet. Oh, yeah, there was, there was rain and mist, perhaps. Yeah, so the ground's wet. The, um, the painted markings uh, are often completely invisible underneath light reflections. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to give the crew a lot of leeway here, uh, particularly if they're not familiar. Um, but... Having said that, if you're ever unsure, come to a halt and ask for guidance. Yes. Um, Liz was querying as to what time of day it was. And according to the METARs that uh, have been uh, bolded here mm-hmm. in the article, looks like uh, somewhere around 1951 to 2018Z. And I think that's like a seven or eight hour offset. So it should eight, be kind yeah, of like eight. afternoon, mid-afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so darkness wasn't an issue. No, light rain uh, looks like, you know, maybe not great visibility. So it's probably a dreary, what do they call that? Mm-hmm. The uh, the marine layer that kind of comes marine in layer, off the Pacific, yeah. um, you know, obscuring a lot. It, but it wasn't dark for sure. Right, Thanks. So. Yeah. Anyway, uh, again, we'll uh, probably hear more regarding this one. You weren't going to play that audio, Jeff? Did you uh, ever fly into this airport, Jeff? I have flown into uh, San Diego many times. Uh, Back in the 90s when I was flying the 727, that was a pretty common place for me to fly to and into and out of. And also uh, when I was flying the um, L-1011 TriStar domestically, we also uh, ended up uh, landing at San Diego as well. So, yeah, I have a lot of experience going in and out of that. But it's been, I don't know, 20-something 20, 20 years since right. I've been there. So it's been a while. Anyway, okay, there next. we go. Uh, let's uh, continue with this next one from, again, the Aviation Herald. Um, a Lufthansa Airbus A319-100 was flying uh, Flight 986 from Frankfurt Mine to Amsterdam. was descending towards Amsterdam when the crew declared Mayday, reporting both generators had failed. Both engines, CFM-56, were running. Uh, the RAT, the Ram Air Turbine, had deployed. The generators were eventually recovered. The aircraft, but I guess they stayed on the accessory case. Um, they were, I guess the generators kind of came back to back online. 
The aircraft positioned for an ILS approach to runway 27 and landed without further incident and taxied to the apron. Uh, the aircraft, uh, let's see, on January 12th, 2024. So this happened on the November 10th of 2023. On January 12th of this year, the NTSB reported they have rated the occurrence a serious incident and are investigating, stating the Ram Air turbine deployed following the failure of both generators. The aircraft continued for a safe landing. Um, wait a minute. I can see now why there was like an exclamation point. The, the US NTSB... NTSB why would they be Lufthansa flight Amsterdam? It's yeah, it's it's in Germany to Amsterdam, and it's an Airbus aircraft. Any yeah, ideas? Interesting. Why? Uh, were there some Americans on board? Oh well, I don't think that's well. A I mean, requirement. Yeah, if uh, if you have uh, nationality of your passengers gives you access to the investigation. So it's usually run by the uh, country where it occurred. Hmm. Uh, but if you've got American passengers on board and uh, you feel like it, you can put in NTSB officials into the inquiry. Perhaps they did that anyway, uh, despite the fact that perhaps uh, the Amsterdam authorities weren't going to make an inquiry uh, they weren't going to give it a, a significant uh, look see so perhaps the ntsb said well we're going to anyway thank you or maybe don't this, have anything else to do. maybe the reason why they included the information about the engines cfm 56s might have a might be a oh, clue because those are uh, american made um engines it's a conglomerate, or that's a conglomerate. but um yeah. ge i think is part of that conglomerate yeah. uh, that makes yeah. those CFM 56s. So perhaps that's the reason. I don't know. But yeah, yeah maybe. Um, but a double Jenny failure is pretty damn rare. Uh, the normal cause for losing a generator in this kind of situation is an electrical fault on a buzz, which drags the generator down. Uh, and normally the buzz tie will break uh, so that you don't then have the same fault bringing the other generator down. But perhaps the buzz tie was a bit slow in opening uh, or, uh, or moving, I should say, um, or perhaps it moved incorrectly and the same fault brought down both generators. Uh, perhaps that's what they're looking at because uh, that would be quite a serious failing if uh, a single fault brought down both generators. Yeah. Um, we have some comedians in our in our live audience. Tim Van Ram says, <laughs> investigators from Amsterdam and the FAA went Dutch on paying for the investigation. <laughs> and Ludgar says, Ludger, perhaps the NTSB wanted to investigate a faulty Airbus for once. <laughs> it's a change yeah. of scenery. Uh, By the way, uh, in the simulator, when we used to practice emergency electrical configurations, it was a horrible day because that is a nightmare drill. Um, the rat comes out and helps you, uh, but the emergency electrical configuration is a drill and a half. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel sorry for the crew having to perform that particular one, particularly oh. for real. Well, I think, uh, had I read the entire um, thing, I would have seen at the very end of the article here, 
The Dutch Safety Board designated the investigation to the National Transportation Safety Board as the state of design and manufacturer of the IDGs and GCUs, the uh, oh, right. uh, okay. integrated drive generators and the uh, drive or generator control units. That's what that stands Ooh, for. Oh, very good. Ding, ding, ding. So now, now we know why. Yeah, there you okay. go. Okay. Interesting. Thanks, Simon. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Okay. Uh, speaking of Simon, uh, we have another one from his wonderful website, Aviation Herald. And this involves a Wings uh, ATR 72-212 Alpha registration pop a, uh, Kilo Whiskey Juliet Tango performing flight 1646 from Jayapura to Dakai in Indonesia with 36 people on board. Was an approach to runway 7 at Dakai when the aircraft was shot at. The, bu the bullet penetrated the fuselage and exited inside the aircraft at seat row 19A through C. The aircraft continued for, I'd say, 19A for sure, because that's right up against the window and the wall. The aircraft continued for a safe landing. There are no reported injuries. The aircraft's still on the ground at Dakai after uh, eight hours after landing. And then uh, we're showing the um, the bullet holes, and this one we're looking at right now is the one uh, where the bullet actually entered into the cabin right there in that. Uh, and that's where it came from. Yeah, and then the uh, outside bullet hole right there. I mean, I wonder if uh, I'm wondering if somebody was purposely aiming at this airplane, or well, yeah, I mean, somebody drew a big green circle on the whole <laughs> aircraft That's to why. aim at, and he's put it right bang in the middle. Look at that! Wow, That's it's a pretty challenge good shot, accepted. Eh? Challenge accepted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I have to say that that's that's really nasty because that height would have been perfect to take out somebody had they been sitting in that yeah, row. Yeah, uh, perhaps it. You know, it was a. Uh, a Bill's proper got a good sniper, an assassination attempt, but they got the seat number wrong. Yeah. Instead of shooting an approach, they were shot on approach. Oh, very good. That deserves good, a uh, rim <laughs> shot, if I could find it. But uh, here it is. Actually, I'm not sure <laughs> if Indonesia is one of those countries where they celebrate weddings and things by firing a lot of guns. Could be. I mean, Maybe. I know there are some countries that yep. think that's good fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're near an airport, that's not good. But uh, So we don't know if it was deliberate or just an Well, at accident. least it wasn't a laser. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd prefer a laser in this case. <laughs> maybe the maybe the laser's that green thing. Yeah, that's it. The laser <laughs> it's a coordinated laser slash um bullet Gun att uh, yeah. attempt or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah. That's uh, it's a dangerous job this, isn't it, Jeff? It, it really is. It's a dangerous <laughs> job being a passenger on an airplane. Indeed. Apparently. Just of um, okay. Um okay, this is good. Yes, this is good. So I think it's time for me to uh, add up, my media to the stage and try to find my window to, is this it right here? Oh, oh, there's the thing I was going to play for the uh, Japan Airlines. <laughs> oh, wow. Right there. Um, hmm. Oh, well. That's fine. You'll That's put it a in post. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's this one here. Yeah. Okay. This next item uh, sent in to us by Captain Virtual. Um, let's see. 
It's a video, uh, the title of which is Pilot Can't Fly IFR Because His iPad Has Died in Martinsburg, Virginia, I believe. And so we're going to go ahead and have a have a listen. Ooh, cool. New sound effect. Uh, it's from Real ATC. Mm -hmm. Number 7183, Victor, turn left, heading 250, over. Moving left, turn left, heading 250. Number 7183, Victor, turn left, heading 240, and descend to maintain 4000. November 7183, Victor, turn left, heading 170, direct Jaws route. Join the approach course straight in at Jaws route. Maintain 4000. November 7183, Victor, turn left, heading 170, direct Jaws route when able. Over. No, sir. I need you to take the airplane and point it at the fixed call Jaws route. It's on the RNAV <laughs> approach course. Follow the approach course inbound at Jaws route, please. Mooney 7183, Victor, turn left heading 150, direct Jaws Route intersection. Join the RNAV runway 8 approach, please. Mooney 7183, Victor, you're two miles from Jaws Route. Cross Jaws Route at 4,000 feet. Cleared for the RNAV runway 8 at Martinsburg. Mooney 7183, Victor, cancel your approach clearance. Maintain 4,000. Turn left heading 090. Eight three six with a request, sir. Yeah, I'm not doing any requests. Twenty seven one eight three. I'm not sure what the problem is, but I've been speaking very slowly and very clearly, and I can't say things any simpler. If you require some kind of assistance or is this an emergency, you need to let us know. Twenty seven one eight three. Victor, fly heading zero nine zero over. Zero nine zero eight three. Twenty seven one eight three Victor, do you require any assistance? I can terminate my IFR flight plan right now because I have a play I can get VFR instead of and do a VFR approach. I apologize for uh, my iPad problem. Twenty seven one eight three Victor, stand by on that. It, the weather's not very good. I, I really don't want to cancel your IFR just yet. Where are you try where do you want to land? Oh I want to land in Martinsburg. All right, and your IFR capable, the aircraft is IFR capable. Is that all correct? That is all correct. 7183 Victor, any way you want to do it, go to Jaws Route Intersection. I don't care how you do it, I'll stay out of your way. Just let me know when you're inbound on the approach at Jaws Route, please. Okay, I've been giving you vectors for the last 20 minutes, and uh, it's been a struggle. Can you navigate on your own towards Jaws Route? No. All right, number 7183, Victor, can you left turn heading 270? I'm going to point you straight in on the RNAV approach, but you've got to tell me that you're established on the approach course. At number 7183, Victor, turn left, left turn, heading 300, radar vectors for the straight in RNAV, runway 8. Mooney 7183, Victor, turn left, please. Left turn heading 300. These are radar vectors for the straight in runway 8 approach. Mooney 7183, Victor, do you understand that I need you to tell me that you're established on the approach course before that I can actually clear you? 
because of my iPad died that do not have the approach plate and I don't can identify this junction you're talking about. Okay, so you don't you're not capable of doing an RNAV approach then. You see, to do an IFR approach, you need IFR equipment and an iPad. I'm pretty sure you can't legally fly an RNAV approach with an iPad. I see. So you do have a GPS on the airplane that will corroborate your information. So I'm going to put you on the approach course. I'll tell you when you're over Jawsru, and from there you'll be able to fly the RNAV approach. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. We'll get all that done for you. But I still want to hear you say that you're established on the approach course. Thank you very much. November 7183 Victor, turn left heading 260. I'll give you a little bit more room for the approach. Looney 83 Victor, just fly heading 260. Just trying to give you a little bit more room for the approach. 260. Number 7183 Victor, turn right heading 030. Number 7183 Victor, continue right turn heading 050, join the runway 8 final approach course. Number 7183 Victor, I understand it's a full stop. You are 2.9 miles from Jaws Roof. Are you able to take the approach clearance now? Will you be able to join the approach or do I need to turn you to the 80 heading to join the approach course? the GPS final approach course pop up on your navigation equipment? Yeah, we're debating whether or not this is even legal for us to do, sir, because, you know, our understanding is this is not a safe and legal approach. Ordinarily, you would see the approach course. You would know what you're doing. Uh, are you able to do it with a VOR or, or, or an ILS into uh, Martinsburg? I appreciate your position, but uh, we've been talking long enough that uh, I'm going to get in some trouble here if things don't work out. So just give me a second. Number seven one eight three, Victor. Marsburg weather is broken 1,600 feet. I appreciate your willingness to go VFR, but uh, I'm really not too comfortable with that. Number seven one eight three, Victor. Are you able to do the ILS approach? We can get Marsburg to pull up the ILS for you. November 7, Victor, just verify you have the current weather in Notum at Martinsburg. Last reported ceiling was 1,900 broken. 7183, Victor, radar service is terminated. Keep your current peaking go, though, so we can keep an eye on you. And uh, frequency change approved. If you have any problems at all, call me back. We'll try to work something else out. I understand. But uh, in the future, uh, an iPad is a poor IFR navigation tool. It's a good aid, but I don't think you can fly an IFR RNAV approach off an iPad. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, it's been a long time since I've flown IFR, but uh, I don't know, man. Uh, it doesn't seem too, too, too good to me. I was just leaving on it for the start of the I, I hear you. I get it. Uh, it's not my first rodeo, but uh, yeah, I mean, ILSs are a sure thing. VORs ain't bad. Uh, an RNAV approach of an iPad. Uh, okay. <laughs> Skyventure 310, did you overhear what I was saying to that Mooney? Affirmative, I did hear that.
Does that, am I right? Can he fly? Can he do a RNAV approach off an iPad? Is there an IFR legal iPad? Uh, as far as I'm aware, you have to use uh, built-in equipment. You cannot use an iPad for an RNAV approach. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought as well. Thank you. The Tomek Baron 655, uh, you are correct. Thank you guys, I appreciate it. And you did a great job. I ain't on the ground yet, we'll see. <laughs> I think he needs a conversation. Mm -hmm. 27 Victor, Marsburg Tower is looking for you on 1243-243. It's up to you, you can go over to them now or stay with me. Are you alright? you need any more help to get to Martinsburg? The airport's at your 3 o'clock and 7 miles. Guess that was it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that was uh, yeah, definitely sketchy. Um, I I think there must be some kind of a fundamental misunderstanding by the pilot of the Mooney. Uh, you know the, the the electronic flight bag, the uh, the iPad, or uh, what's the uh, the popular um, program that people use on. Um, was it full flight? Four flight, yeah. You know, it, it it gives you the approach plate. It shows you uh, overlaid. You know, your actual path if it's you know, if you have the equipment to make it do that. But you cannot you, you cannot use the iPad solely as a substitute for built in, you know, properly tested and certified uh, instrument flying equipment instruments on your on your airplane. Um, it sounded to no. me uh, that he was actually trying to fly solely using his iPad. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I have a, a misunderstanding of what he was trying to do, but, uh, if you have a, a system that you are, uh, able to fly RNAV approaches that are, that are uh, a system that is built into your instrumentation, your avionics on your airplane, uh, when you enter the the approach name, the RNAV to runway eight, it should clearly show you in some kind of a expression, most likely a nav uh, map display, uh, the the fixes, Rosu or whatever the uh, fix was that he was trying to Jazru or whatever that they were trying to you know he was trying to send the pilot to. Um, so why was he having trouble seeing that? I don't I don't understand. No, I, I, you're quite right. Um, I, I, considering the restrictions on us, mind you, we're you know commercial airlines, uh, and our nav accuracy required uh, in order to fly an our nav approach, uh, they were very stringent. You had to confirm that all your accuracies were within the correct limits to be able to fly that kind of an approach, and I don't know if. Uh, an iPad will even give you a level of accuracy um, to, you know, authorize you to <laughs> to fly the approach. And I don't know if you need to. If you're a GA pilot just bumbling around, I don't know what kind of uh, minimum requirement there is. Uh, so, you know, it's outside my experience. Perhaps if there's a GA pilot that does a lot of IFR, we would uh, quite like to uh, hear, you know, what you think. But um, I, I know we. I used to have, particularly when we first got the uh, iPads, I used to plug in a uh, 
GPS aerial in, and um, uh, I'm trying to think. It was something called Green Goblin or something. It was a, a GPS receiver, which made the iPad very accurate, and mm. um, it would track uh, down the approach plate uh, while we were flying the airplane using our, the aircraft equipment, I was glancing across at this iPad going, you know, that's really not bad. You know, you could more or less fly it on the iPad if like you wanted to. Like within five meters or something, I think. Well, Usually. yeah, you've got a little airplane signal symbol yeah. and you've got the approach. And What's the thing called? Like something, something devil or something like that? Um, I know what you're talking about. It's like a little Yeah, I, I mean, device. I left it on the airplane once, and uh, I never saw it again because mm-hmm. it's sitting in some engineer's pocket, I expect now. Uh, I always blame the engineers, but it could just as equally be in another pilot's pocket um, because, uh, you know, it was a really neat piece of kit. It wasn't cheap either. Anyway, um, it, it, fascinating. Uh, and I don't know if he was actually using instruments that the – iPad was sort of fudging for him, and it reminded me that I've got uh, I've got something on my uh, phone called Spyglass, and I don't know if you can see that, but it mm-hmm. provides you with a head-up display kind of thing. It can give you That's pitch you bars. Need. It's got a compass attached to it. it it'll <laughs> show you uh, roll angles. It's very clever. It's got GPS, so it'll give you uh, waypoints, all that kind of stuff. Um, but and I used to I put it on my phone because I thought you know one day if we get all our instruments fail, all those backups fail, well I can I can still prop that up in the windshield <laughs> and well, have a go using that. I haul but, boxes uh, uh, I, points out. I haven't been keeping up with all this new technology, but Apple apparently has the IFR kit, the iPad flight rules. It doesn't require you to, to subscribe to ForeFlight. It comes with Apple Maps. <laughs> there you go. Brilliant. That and, oh. and the thing that you just showed us, that spy whatever. I mean, now you're good to go. Who needs avionics? You know, they're expensive. Um, and uh, let's see, going back to uh, Luger's um, comment about uh, uh, he says, I had the impression that he tried to fly the approach with reference to the plate on the iPad only, but the own ship position, his aircraft position did not show up. Totally illegal. Even if it did show up, it's still illegal. That's just for reference. It's not <laughs> It's not for yeah. actually flying an approach. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, there amazing. you go. Bad you know Elf. What? That was the name I of think that GPS kit. Bad Elf. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's. Uh, Thanks, I had Neil. one of them too. In fact, I probably have one in some little bin somewhere. Um, <laughs> not a trash bin, but a, like a regular plastic storage bin. Um, and uh, interestingly, uh, so Delta uh, was one of the last major airlines to actually start um, getting the approval to show your own ship position on some of these uh, flight publications in your electronic flight bag because – I don't know if this is true. I, it, it's almost hard for me to believe, but the concern apparently in the, the in the management realm was that we were going to use our iPads to fly uh, instrument approaches. And I'm thinking, <laughs> are you kidding me? How, yeah. What did you really yeah. think that we were going that that would happen? And, that, and as, apparently, that was the reluctance. Now that could be just wow. a. UH Blackhawk is confirming but, that hmm. a bit, Jeff. Oh, wait. Oh, UH Blackhawk in our audience says, for the longest time, 
The FAA wouldn't let us turn on ownship. They were afraid someone would use it for primary nav. We said, who would be stupid enough to do that? So I think that's the problem here, that a lot of the people that thought that that could be a problem are people that don't really get into airplane cockpits very often and actually fly. Uh, because if they, yeah. if they did, then they would realize how stupid that concern would be, I think. Yeah. Yeah. My other concern about this is situation is that um, if this guy did a proper instrument flying course and got himself rated he would have been taught the restrictions about what kit he can use to fly ifr and either he's deliberately breaking those rules or he's never been formally rated mm. i suspect that that never might be the case that. <laughs> yeah that, it might be a do-it-yourself ifr rating that he is uh, <laughs> yeah. utilizing at this you can point get one online mail order yeah. <laughs> How hard can this be? You just got to yeah, have an like, iPad. And the controller a, was exactly. great, though. Yeah, the controller was very good. Um, he, yeah. You could tell he was losing his patience. Yeah. Just a little bit. A bit. But a he, bit. He, he hung on. Because <laughs> well, after all, this this guy's life at the end of exactly. this. Exactly. He, he was concerned oh, for Van a fellow Ram human. Tim the last comment. And uh, Tim Van Ram says, uh, probably would have worked on the iPad had he put it in airplane mode. <laughs> there you go. Oh, wow. No. That's probably oh, give true. Give me a break. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so uh, it was nice that he was reluctant to, you know, he can't mm. force him not to, um, you know, not cancel IFR and go VFR. You know, he, he tried to talk him into, no, 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 don't do that. You know, I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it it shows a level of concern of this controller, in, in addition yeah. to the level of frustration that he had as well. But he was Very like, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. Now, I, I mentioned um, Martinsburg. I said Virginia. It's West Virginia, actually, and it's a uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty good um, long runway, good facilities, and everything else. In fact, it's where our uh, captain Pizek, um mm -hmm. in on the uh, in the APG community flies uh, for the Air Force Reserve uh, C17s so they have a reserve unit that's uh, stationed there at Martinsburg West Virginia and so they have Oh they put those damn things down on the beach <laughs> Well they do yeah so but this is <laughs> trust me I've I've seen this airport and I've flown over in fact uh, Oh it's nice um, it? uh, dispatcher uh, Mike and I no wait no was it yeah it was dispatcher Mike and I I think or no, 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 no. Um, it was another APG community member and pilot. Uh, we flew from uh, the D.C. area over to um, uh, Pennsylvania years ago, and uh, on the way to go see the uh, the United Airlines uh, uh, the memorial, memorial for 9/11. Uh, Shanksville. Shanksville. Thank you. Uh, is is where we were headed, and on the way we flew almost like right over the top of uh, Martinsburg. Uh, West Virginia, that airport, very nice airport. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of you know, sadly, we're probably never going to know exactly what happened here. If he really had the idea that you could legally fly his GA airplane using just an iPad or not, I don't know. Anyway, well, I'm sure we've started a discussion now that'll probably reverberate for a few uh, uh shows. episodes, yeah. Maybe somebody will be able to chime in, give us the the answer to our questions. 
All right. Um, oh, uh, this is from this next one, a preliminary report on the uh, Grumman Cougar crash. Uh, Sam Dawson sent this uh, news item to us uh, in a previous episode. You discussed this crash. This is the NTSB's preliminary report. The last three paragraphs on page three are interesting. The right fuel cap was missing a rubber gasket that helps to keep water from entering the fuel tank. Uh, The right engine fuel system showed evidence of water and debris. In addition, the report talks about the pilot in command being in a rush. Okay, those are not good ingredients for a safe operation. Um, Yeah, let's see. Um, I'm not going to read the whole preliminary report. We'll have this in the show notes. But um, as Sam was mentioning, according to company and airport employees at Chester County, uh, G.O. Carlson Airport, uh, Mike Quebec Sierra, the pilot arrived around 1230 and made it clear that he was in a hurry. And he had a return flight from Knoxville, Tennessee, booked at 1800 that evening. He called the fuel truck multiple times and indicated to the linesman that he was in a hurry and was not pleased with their delayed response to his fuel request. The airplane's 116-gallon fuel system was serviced with 80 gallons of fuel, which reached to the tabs in each fuel tank. According to witnesses and surveillance video, the pilot did not obtain fuel samples from the airplane's fuel tanks prior to takeoff. And that's, what do we call that, draining the sump? Um, You know, going under the wing and having your... Your, uh, what is it called? A sump drain uh, device? Come on, help me out, people in the it's live a audience. Pokey thing with a cup underneath it. Yeah, that you, <laughs> stick you stick up you, into you, the you, into a valve. Yeah, you p- push it upward into the valve on the underside of the wing where the wing fuel tank is, and it uh, fuel comes into the thing, and then uh, water and fuel do not mix well, and the water drops to the bottom, I believe, because water is yeah, heavier. Yeah, the water is heavier, isn't it? Yeah, um, and that's so it's going to collect right there at the bottom of that fuel tank. Um, and uh, you always do that. You always. Yeah, because it only flying. takes a few seconds. I know. And that's, that's how you work out if the damn thing is safe to fly. Right. Uh, they dis- uh, disassembled the right engine carburetor uh, and revealed an intact float. The mixture arm, mixture cable, throttle arm, or all secured to the carburetor. Fuel drained from the bowl was blue in color and contained visible water and debris. So the blue color is the indicating that he had the proper fuel uh, in the fuel tanks, but the visible water and debris is not something you'd want uh, to see. Um, and the test said it detected water in the fuel. Oh, not good. Yeah. Yeah, so that is uh, that is uh, definitely a concern, and that might be the reason why uh, at least one of the engines sounds like the right engine may have failed. And as we talked about earlier, this particular airplane, especially, uh, it's a twin-engine airplane, but uh, these airplanes are not certified to the same level that uh, transport category aircraft are. And um, the losing an engine in a light twin, especially an underpowered light twin like this Grumman, um, is not like you can fly around all day in that remaining engine. It's more like uh, you have a little bit of control about where you're going to crash land, essentially. Yeah. From what I've That's been... That's what we used to say yeah. about the Jaguar jet fighter. Its engines were so weak and feeble. If one failed, uh, the other one would take you to the scene of the crash. <laughs> yep. 
let's um, continue on with uh, this again from the Aviation Herald, Simon Bratkeith, great uh, aviation site. It's a preliminary report on a United Nigeria Embraer ERJ-145. They were performing a flight from, oh boy, uh, Abukaliki to Lagos with uh, Lagos. Uh, with 50 people on board, landed at Lagos's runway 18 left at about 1,500 local, but veered right off the runway and came to a stop on soft ground with the nose gear collapsed. There were no injuries. The airline reported the aircraft was forced to terminate its movement to the apron off the runway. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> forced? They yeah. were forced to terminate its movement. It was movement. the aircraft that was forced. Uh, <laughs> nothing to do with the pilots. You know, I don't even think it would have made it uh, if they, the pilots had tried to uh, move it from their position yeah. off the runway to wow. the apron. Uh, passengers reported the aircraft was rolling out on Wednesday afternoon when the about halfway through the rollout, the landing rollout, the aircraft began to shake due to tire detachment and went off the runway. Uh, let's see. 50 people on board, two flight crew, two cabin crew. Uh, they go into some details of the flight here. Um, was there any, I don't think there was any indication of any uh, issue before no. they landed. It looks like normal conversations between yeah. Tower and the uh, pilots of this flight. Uh, weather was good at the time. No rain, no precipitation good. of any uh, sort. During the landing roll, Tower observed the aircraft veer off to the right of the runway center line onto the grass verge between link three and four coming to stop on the grass. Um and then they said, mayday, mayday, mayday. And the uh, tower activated the crash alarm, uh, aerodrome rescue and firefighting services moved to the site immediately. Um, anyway, uh, all the passengers disembarked normally without injury. And uh, yeah, great weather. And uh, some, the, I guess the nose gear just collapsed. Mm, yeah, nose gear, landing gear assembly collapsed. Not good. Sounds like there was nothing they could do. Well, I don't know. Do we know why? What did they bust a tire or? Uh, it doesn't say. Have a problem with the nose was steering or something. Oh well. Well, let's see. Oh, they they do uh, yeah, mention here uh, an immediate safety recommendation to the operator, the N the NSIB. Um, United Nigeria Airlines should ensure compliance with Embraer Service Bulletin. Uh, 145-32 or 0099. The uh, safety bullet or service bulletin recommended upgrading the nose wheel steering hydraulic manifold, which required inspecting specific dimensions that were considered critical for the proper operation of the O-ring seals within the... <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, darn it. I wish I had <laughs> thought of the fact that you are going to do that. Um to ensure that they were within tolerance limits. So that might be a little clue. Uh, so to, wasn't being done. Yeah, maintenance Never wasn't know. complied with. Yeah. We should make sure that people know this isn't United Airlines. This is yeah, United it's not United Nigeria. Airlines. It's United Nigeria uh, Airlines. I don't think there's any connection between the two no. other than the name United. All right. And um, continuing on with uh, this from fortune.com. Uh, misfortune for Mr. Ed Clark, uh, Boeing uh, ousted the head of its 737 MAX program. 
shaking up management less than two months after the mid-air blowout that's led to withering scrutiny of manufacturing quality at the U.S. plane maker. Ed Clark, who helped ramp up 737 production in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, is stepping down immediately after nearly 18 years at Boeing, the company said Wednesday. Katie Ringgold succeeds him as vice president and general manager of the 737 program and Boeing's Boeing's factory in Renton, Washington. Boeing also promoted uh, production chief Elizabeth Lund to a new post as senior vice president of senior vice president of quality at Boeing Commercial Airplanes. She will also serve on the executive committee as chair of the Plane Makers Quality Operations Council. Yeah, the management changes are the first undertaken since the company was plunged into crisis after a door plug exploded off of a nearly new 737 MAX on January 5th. Uh, Turns out, as we know now, the four bolts that were to keep the um, door plug from shifting in a vertical plane uh, ended up not being installed. They were missing completely from the aircraft. And uh, eventually the uh, the door plug was able to move vertically, and uh, once that happened, they were off the stops, and it just popped that thing off when the aircraft pressurized. Oh, uh, UH Blackhawk in our live audience says, he is pursuing endeavors in other areas of the aviation industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's looking for a job because he just yeah. got fired. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he it says he resigned. Fired. Yeah. Immediately. Um, there we go. So, you know, at least it looks like Boeing's trying to do something to kind of, you know, salvage well, yeah. the, uh, the ship. This kind of a situation where the shares have tumbled 23% this year, mm. they s- need to be seen to be doing something. And yeah. the usual trick is just to fire somebody. And depending on the seriousness of the problem, the higher rank of the person they fire. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, this one's a good one. This one's from the aviationsafety.net. Um, it was a Pilatus PC-12, and uh, this occurred uh, while landing at Courcheval, France. Did I say that? Courcheval? Um, let's see. European Aircraft Private Club Flight PGC-16F, uh, a Pilatus PC-12, performing a ferry-slash-positioning from Brussels South Charleroi Airport, uh, suffered a runway excursion during a landing attempt at the Courcheval uh, Alt- Altaport. At first, I th- I, when I was reading this, I, I saw Altaport, and I'm thinking, oh, they really butchered airport. But apparently, Altaport is a thing. And uh, we'll have a link to the Wikipedia. What kind of a thing is it? Well, it's it's a it's a place that oh, I should have probably kept this readily available so that I could read from the Wikipedia. Um, um, maybe somebody can pull that up and they can. Yeah, the runway. It's it's um, an airport that interesting. has <laughs> interesting um, characteristics, like a like a launching ramp, uh, like this uh, <laughs> yeah, airport has. Alta. What is it? Alta. What's it called again? Please. Altaport. Altaport. Um, an Altaport is an aerodrome for small airplanes and helicopters situated on or within mountainous terrain. 
Altiports are generally characterized by having a runway with an atypical slope to fit in the local topography. Ultimately, this slope helps aircraft decelerating when landing and assists acceleration when taking off. So there you go. That's what an altiport is. And we're looking at some other pictures. The wing came off. Yeah, the left wing is completely off the aircraft. And apparently there was no fuel spill. So I guess the tank inside that left wing stayed intact. Wow. That's pretty. Or maybe they did have a little bit of leakage, but it could have, it could have been a big boom, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Not good. So he came in a bit low and hit the end of the runway a bit. What, what does that mean? I want <laughs> a bit. <laughs> well, a bit enough enough to shear off the left wing, but not to completely um, implode or explode the airplane. Apparently. Mm. That would have been a You know, because the height of that um, snow bank there beside the runway, mm-hmm. I thought for a minute that he managed to dig his wing into the snow bank and it had torn off that way. But uh, um, no, I don't think so. I'm not sure. Um, there was a um, – that Liz is showing a, a, a snapshot from a um, security camera uh, that uh, runs at 15-minute uh, intervals uh, in time-lapse mode. And so when I was going through some of the images, this was the image that occurred right after the PC-12 had uh, impacted the uh, start of the runway. And uh, the one 15 minutes prior, uh, I didn't even see the airplane coming in for landing. It was just a completely bare runway surface at the mm. time. So. Um, it's like a I'd, nice day. I'd hoped that there would be some, you know, some video of the whole event, but apparently not. Yeah, beautiful day there. Um, beautiful mountains and snow. And yeah, I found that. a picture a bit further down, which is part of a YouTube there. Now, there's a, a fair bit of um, space between the sides of the runway and the snow banks by the looks of it. So, uh, no, it just sounds, looks like he dinked his wing on the landing and <laughs> fell <Yeah>. off. <laughs> Off it came. Could have been, again, a lot worse. Yeah, a lot worse. Yeah, but. Yeah, they've had, I think they've had several accidents in the past at this Altaport. Mm-hmm. A little tricky. I think um, you have to be specially qualified to fly in there. I, I, I would think so, yeah. All right. Uh, and uh, let's see. It's not finally. I was going to say finally, but we're getting close to the end of the, uh, of the news segment. Uh, Aviation Herald again, uh, update uh, after the final report. Okay, so we did talk about this final report. Uh, this incident involved a Singapore uh, 777-300 that was performing a flight from London Heathrow to uh, Singapore. And so they departed London with 106,164 kilograms of fuel. While they were descending towards Singapore, uh, Singapore approach told the crew to expect 2-0 right for landing. Flight management computer indicated they would land with 7,000 kilograms of fuel, remaining well above the 3,084 kilograms of requirement fuel uh, required final reserve fuel. Four minutes later, approach instructed the crew to enter a hold due to tailwind for 2-0 right. The weather radar on board of the aircraft showed the aerodrome was receiving heavy precipitation. A lot of convective activity that day. Basically, what happened here is the there were the weather was not great. There were uh, waves of um, convective activity 
covering the airport and uh, this flight ended up holding for a while and then decided to switch to the alternate air, airport and uh, long story short they burned through a heck of a lot of fuel there were several things that happened uh, on the many attempts to land at uh, Batam and they um, ended up finally uh, getting the airplane on the ground after several attempts and uh, so that we, we had kind of finished talking about this however there was a question about how much fuel was actually remaining it just said that it was well below the final reserve fuel of 3024 kilograms it turns out and it's as hard to believe uh the actual fuel that they had available and when they finally ended up uh stopping the flight 362.87 kilograms which is about 800 pounds 800 pounds of fuel in a triple seven <laughs> that's not You're a, flying from london that's not that's not a lot of fuel at all that's like 10 percent of of your required final reserve fuel um man it, it's it we, i'm glad that we were talking about this as an incident and not an accident where they ran out of fuel and crashed yeah i'm sorry they uh, came so close didn't they so close yes very scary. Uh, interesting. I mean, I did read the uh, assessment of uh, by the inquiry on the uh, commander's decisions or the crew's decisions, and um, it, it's pretty long and involved, and I don't necessarily agree with it all, But because a lot of this is, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> we see now what you did wrong. <laughs> right. But at the time when you're working from just – you know, uh, actuals and forecasts, and you don't really know what the weather's going to do. Uh, the, their decision to divert, they're basically criticized uh, for hanging around too long before attempting a diversion, which meant the weather uh, was moving into their diversion. Um, it just, you know, it's, it's a terrible situation to be put into uh, as a commander when you've, you're getting low on fuel and you've left somewhere with bad weather and the place you're going to all of a sudden that sucks in as well. Uh, it's just horrible. Uh, so I, yeah. I've got sympathy with the crew, but they do make the point that if he had diverted when he initially told air traffic he was going to, he probably would have been fine. Uh, would have get that got there ahead of the weather, but of course he wasn't guaranteed to know how fast that weather was moving and that it wouldn't still be reasonable when he got there. L lots of uh, areas there, and also uh, you know they make the point that they at one point they were doing an auto land, and um, because the localizer final course and the uh, um, auto land checks that the system does. Uh, revealed that there was a one degree error in the course between the, what was required and what they had. They got a no auto land message, even though the flight crew were able, they were in sight of a landing runway, they elected to go around. And I'm going, of all the decisions to make, you may not have understood exactly at the time why you got a no auto land message, but it's irrelevant. 
If you could see the damn runway, exactly. The Autoland isn't going to stop you from landing it in it. On it, you like like we said at the time, you know, click yeah. click, <laughs> turn the damn exactly. thing off. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, we we really went into a lot of detail of the final report a few yeah. months back. I don't I don't remember what episode it was, but uh, the reason why we have it in today's show is just to basically a little uh, addendum because that we still yeah. had that question like, well, how much did they have remaining? Yeah, and, and that really is half crown sixpence time when you've got that little feel. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, just received word from producer Liz that Nick uh, Camacho was not going to be able to join us today. So it's just uh, the two old retired dudes uh, and and the retired producer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so three retired people. Um, oh, look, everyone's leaving the chat room. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, sorry, everybody. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's see. Oh, this, hmm. This yeah, is pretty disgusting. This is a little disgusting for sure. Uh, again, from the Aviation Herald. Uh, a Delta Airlines Airbus A330-300, registration November 821 Northwest NW, performing flight 133 from Amsterdam to Detroit, was en route at flight level 340, about 30 nautical miles east of Manchester, when the crew decided to return to Amsterdam. The crew re- requested an autoland back into Amsterdam. ATC told them approach could not guarantee the aerial would be free and would require some delay. The crew accepted a delay, which subsequently got canceled. The air- aircraft performed an autoland on Amsterdam's runway 18 right, about 90 minutes past departure. I'm not really sure why all that information was included in there and why it was so important that they have to do an autoland approach. Um, but see if you, you know feel the same way after we read a little bit more. The reason why we're talking about this incident and the reason why they decided to turn around and land back at Amsterdam was a passenger reported he noticed a fellow passenger was brushing maggots off of their seat besides her with a piece of paper. The woman subsequently explained the maggots appeared to be falling from the overhead bins. Alerted cabin crew opened the overhead bin to determine where the maggots came from. About 10 maggots fell down upon opening the bin. The maggots were traced to a bag in the overhead bin. Upon opening of the bag, everybody near the bag held their noses. (laughs) The owner of the bag explained it contained fish wrapped in newspaper. Captain uh, cabin crew wrapped the bag into plastics and took it to the back of the aircraft. In the meantime, other passengers started to look out for maggots too, using flashlights uh, on their mobile phones. The flight crew subsequently announced that they were returning to Amsterdam. The airline reported the aircraft returned uh, due to an improperly packed carry-on bag. It was an improperly packed with maggots. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Passengers were were rebooked onto the next available flights. The aircraft was taken out of service for deep cleaning. Oh, boy. It it remained on the ground for another 26 hours. And then uh, they positioned to Detroit. (laughs) So they didn't put passengers on it. And it's currently still on the ground in Detroit about 52 hours. Of course, this was uh, a while back, but I don't know if it's still on the ground there or if it's finally been cleaned well enough. Boxes says here. Um, 
Yeah, how does that even get through TC, uh, TSA? That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe well, probably doesn't show up on the detectors. Or and maybe it just wasn't quite ripe enough at that point for to <laughs> be able to smell it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. When Jim maggots. Ram has oh, some this is the new safety briefing. When maggots drop from the overhead panels, place them over your nose and mouth and breathe normally. <laughs> mm. Not good. Oh, uh, Bill Aronic says, "Sounds fishy to me." How did it get through security? Yeah, same same kind of question well, you that I box is. Yeah, I think it was a very yeah. fishy situation. Okay, one last possible show title. Um, all right. So last. they were given eight thousand free air miles, hotel room compensation, mm. and a thirty dollar meal tickets for for at fish. The fish restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> the fish and chips here is wonderful. Yes, indeed. And we <sighs> serve it in newspaper. <laughs> Maggot free, though. All right. Uh, this last one. Oh, good. You know, we have we always have to have at least one article from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. TSA officers discover two more. They didn't discover the fish, but they did discover two mortar rounds in a passenger's luggage at Ontario Airport in California. Don't we know someone that flies through Ontario a lot, like Miami Rick? Yeah, we. I think Miami Rick does fly through Ontario, Ontario quite a bit, and he does have quite a mortar collection. Hmm. Not, any, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. Well, not any mortar. A uh, passenger was stopped at an Ontario airport in California earlier this week with two 81 millimeter mortar mortar rounds in their luggage, as they were discovered by TSA officers dur during routine screening. Thankfully, both the mortar rounds were inert. But whether decommissioned or not, mortar rounds are most definitely banned from both hand baggage and checked-in luggage. In a cheeky post on a social on social media site X, and we know what it was before, we don't have to say it anymore. Uh, the TSA reminded passengers to always double-check what they have in their luggage, lest they forget you've forgotten that you've got some explosives stashed in their bags. In this case, it doesn't sound like the passenger got in much trouble for trying to bring these prohibited items onto a commercial airliner, but it doesn't always end so well. In 2021, in fact, a teenage Italian tourist in London ended up being jailed for two months after trying to bring a decommissioned hand grenade on a plane at Heathrow Airport. Uh, he was quickly surrounded by armed police after security officer, officers detected the the, the grande. The grande. <laughs> oh, he had a very large cup of coffee? What? Yes, um, indeed he did. Uh, I think With they mean grenade, grenade in it. during routine x-ray screening of his hand luggage. Uh, so, you know, it's I not the... Boxes has a question. I Hall Boxes has a question for us. Was this passenger a mason? Because he had mortar, get it? Oh, <laughs> that's bad. Wah, Liz, wah. that wasn't even worth pointing out I to anybody. It. Oh my gosh! Okay. Um, All right. Let's get. Yeah. What else one. to say other than news is over? Let's yeah. get on with getting to know us. Thankfully. Oh, thank you. Getting to know us—the time of the show where we get all caught up with what has been happening with at least a couple of us on yeah, the crew. You two guys. Yeah. Um, so, Captain Nick. How have you uh, been yes, now? Sir. That was kind of a it was kind of a down 
feeling uh, the last show because your uh, your your one of your pets had been it was was quite ill. Yeah, I'm afraid that uh, down feeling got even worse because mm. uh, Rusty, our oldest of our three dogs, um, sadly her illness was too bad for her to survive. So. Mm. Uh, we said our goodbyes uh, after a week of trying really hard to for her to pull through and hoping, but um, in the end it was all uh, too little, too late. Uh, they, they really, oh, really didn't find out the exact cause either. So, uh, uh, but she was dreadfully ill. So that was. Um, Sadly, a very uh, unhappy ending to that little scene. Um, but uh, we kind of have uh, a pet cemetery in our garden. So uh, I set to and uh, we put her in beside the four other big dogs that we have in there. We've got a Doberman, a uh, German short-haired pointer, and two Wieslers uh, in that little plot, now joined by another Wiesler. So... Uh, we've got quite a little collection down there, and hopefully they're all bouncing around, having leapt over the rainbow bridge uh, together. Um, so that was uh, was very unhappy, um, but you know, life goes on. We've still got two lovely dogs to look after, and uh, they're now our priority. So that was sad. Um, apart from that, um, not much else really. You know, life goes on with the usual. Uh, and um, uh, no, there's, there was nothing special at all. Just the cover up, perhaps to talk about. We had some interesting suggestions on 606. Uh, that, of course, there was the ninth seat of the uh, passenger who, on this particular, some King Air, I think, right. uh, if they wanted to go flying, they had to sit on the on the toilet, <laughs> which was which converted into a seat uh, for takeoff and landing. I'm not sure how uh, um, they coped with that during flight if someone wanted to go to the loo, but there you go. Um, so we had that. Um, we had um, APG Baffle Gab. Um, I'm f that was someone's suggestion. Yes, I can't uh, remember quite where that phrase came from. Yeah, somebody uh, in our lives. Jeff cracks the case. That was another suggestion. Oh, yes. Um, Jeff, Jeff uh, realized that white van on the runway crossed that Oh, yeah, the oh, white van on the runway. Right. Yeah, okay. we had a thing about trauma counseling. But <laughs> the main one that uh, took the uh, bacon was the sewage showers. Mm -hmm. And... Um, there you go. So uh, I I've immediately thought of a SIG weather chart because that's where you get all the weather. Uh, found one of those, and um, we suitably modified it with a koala bear flying a helicopter. That It was <laughs> indeed a helicopter that dropped the sewage. Yes. Uh, discharging a lot of poo on uh, Perth, uh, mm. where it all occurred. Uh, and... While we were at it, of course, I tinkered with the chart a, a bit. So <laughs> a little it bit. says in the bottom right corner, cat areas, uh, referring, of course, Jeff, to um, cat areas, cat clear areas. air turbulence. So, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I put actual cats <laughs> instead of the clear air turbulence symbols which are normally a little uh, upturned V 
Uh, and uh, on the other corner, we have the charts details. So it's an SH1T weather, uh, <laughs> fixed time, uh, battle gab chart, mm -hmm. uh, valid. And, of course, it was valid at the time of the show on the 16th of February. And um, provided by APG AVMET and issued by ACME London. So they're all very formal. Very formal. And if very you nice. look around the chart, there are some... Funny things. Uh, at the bottom there, uh, in between the show title uh, sent lines, you'll see flight level 606, the show number. Yeah. And you can also see beside the helicopter, occasional embedded Jeffs. Uh, the show logo <laughs> uh, is uh, shaped like a revolving tropical storm. Very nice. Uh Tropical Cyclone NN. I don't know quite why they put N. Perhaps it's not named. Well, maybe but not. Uh, that's hmm. just making landfall in the Northern Territories. It could We've have been got, Tropical um, Storm NA for Nick Anderson. Oh, well, that yeah. would have worked, yeah. yeah. Have worked. But I'm not very stormy. <laughs> I see there, there actually is another Tropical Storm NN. So, again, I'm thinking, I wonder why. Yeah. Perhaps that does mean not named. Hmm. Um, there are some uh, plenty of... Uh, volcanoes around and hidden by the uh ear of the uh, koala is a volcano called liz at the top you've got steffi mm -hmm. uh you've got d nico for the two nicks <laughs> and uh suan's suan nose suan nose rick so there you go that was Got all, got all our names <laughs> in at least. I think that was all uh, lot of event, a lot of data on that. Well <laughs> I was just messing nice. about. It was good fun. Yeah. Nice job. So that was the cover always. up. God knows what will happen this week. I don't know what. I found out uh, what's going to happen. Six sure it's seven, probably has something to do go. with poop. <laughs> no, nope. they always seem to. Had enough poop for <laughs> a week. fish, maybe, and maggots, but no poop. Oh, yeah. Maggots. That would be good. <laughs> What about you, Jeffrey? Well, uh, let's see. I've been doing the uh, the normal uh, singing I'm and singing. stuff. Um, not a lot going on um, uh, between last show and this one. However, this weekend uh, is going. There are going to be a lot of things happening. I'm going to get to meet up with at least two uh, APG community members. Uh, first, I mentioned it before. Um, uh, Jim Mercado, our brand ambassador for the APG is going to be visiting uh, me here in Roswell on uh, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. Uh, he kind of made a special um, uh, alteration to his trip. He's up in Knoxville at a Cirrus uh, aircraft event, um, and uh, it's very serious. Um, and uh, he uh, altered his plan so that he could come through Atlanta and fly out of Atlanta on Sunday morning back home to Northern California. So uh, I'm going to get a chance to meet up with Jim. And uh, also, David Lieb, Dave Lieb, is uh, in town or is going to be in town. I think right now he's in Savannah, but he has some family here. He's going to be staying down at the airport, the uh, uh, Ramada Concourse, um, the uh, Renaissance Court Concourse, not Ramada. It's much nicer than a Ramada. Um, and that's where we held half of the 500th episode celebration, uh, right there near the uh, Delta General Offices and uh, lots of other uh, great aviation-related 
businesses and uh, concerns. And uh, speaking of Delta, uh, every year the Delta Museum puts on Hops in the Hangar. And uh, this weekend is that uh, that event on uh, Saturday evening. No, I am not going to be in attendance. Perhaps some of you listening right now, uh, if now if it's if you're listening to the normally published audio podcast, you're probably not uh, hearing in this until Monday, uh, at least of the following week. But uh, if you're listening to this live right now and you happen to be in the Atlanta area and attending, Hops in the Hangar at the Delta Museum. Uh, keep an eye open for uh, Dave Lee because he's going to be there. And uh, we are also going to meet up, or I'm going to meet up with Dave uh, on uh, Sunday evening um, while he's still here. I think he, he leaves on Monday. So uh, after the 5 o'clock Mass on Sunday evening, I, I'm going to head down and uh, visit, uh, visit with Dave. So, Jeff, I just added a slide. You're talking about ambassadors. Here's one of our APG ambassadors uh, yeah. showing, showing the flag there. Speaking of ambassadors, uh, for sure, we have Stefan, uh, who has, I think, last time we saw him so spreading the, the APG word was in uh, Argentina, I believe. Buenos Aires. Buenos yeah. Aires. Uh, and now this one, he's in uh, Cape Town, South, South Africa. Uh, wearing his APG cap and spreading the word about the uh, Airline Pilot Guy show. So thank you, Stefan. Uh, appreciate that. Um, and definitely looking good. Um, let's see. What else was I going to mention? I mentioned Jim and I mentioned March 9th, Dave. March 9th with Captain Oh, yeah. Jure. And then Captain Jure uh, from KLM is going to, or I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say what airline. If if not, just forget what I just said. Um uh, he's going to be in town on a layover, and uh, he wants to get together and have some good old barbecue and local beer and uh, kind of share that great conversation with uh, as many um, folks as we can round up. So if you're interested in meeting up with Captain Jure and perhaps uh, some members of his crew and myself and uh, whoever else, uh, just send us an email to uh meetups or meet up meet up meet up no, meet at up. Uh, it's on the screen okay meet up at airline yeah but i'm the one that made that i'm not sure oh, if that's correct okay. or not <laughs> but i think that's the right uh the right uh email address meet up at airlinepilotguy.com and let us know if you're interested in um you know joining us and oh. uh, hopefully we'll be able to give you more information about what we've come up with um bef between now and then so that's I think. Coffee fun time. Everything. Oh, no, no. I didn't write it down here in the note. But before we go to the coffee fund, I wanted to share this. So, you know, Super Bowl uh, was what? Um, a little over a week ago. and two uh, weeks ago, yeah. Or two weeks ago? Well, it was two on a ago, Monday. Sunday coming Sunday. So it was about a week and a half ago. Yeah. And um, the uh, one of the events uh, at, at a lot of these uh, big games, uh, big football games, usually involve some kind of a fly over or fly past or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it, depending on where you're from. Uh, in this case, it was the Air Force um, precision flying team, the Thunderbirds. And the problem is, though, that this was inside a, a fully enclosed yeah. um, uh, venue. 
so there was no open air. You couldn't look up and see. But they did have a bunch of cameras trained on the Thunderbirds as they flew over. And I, and I forgot exactly how I found this, but uh, found some video of the team uh, before, um, or in fact, while we're listening to this, I'll, I'll continue to talk while we're listening to it. You, you can actually hear some of the background, the music that's happening underneath them. They're on the roof of this arena uh, in uh, Las Vegas. They got these big uh, backpacks with big giant aerials for antennas for communication, radio communications with the with the team. And uh, forgot how far into this you actually start um, hearing some of the music from the auditorium. Okay, I'm hearing something that sounds like music. They're communicating with the, uh, the with the aerial team. Somebody is singing the national anthem of the United States of America. Broad stripes, perilous skies. Okay, we're showing some guys with um, laser guns, I think, or bright LEDs. I'm not sure what kind of signal it's giving to the uh, Thunderbirds. That was the uh, rocket's red glare. Bombs bursting in air. Hey guys, it's over here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they should definitely be able to see that. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, so they're talking about timing. Okay, so if you look at the buildings in the background of this, um, it looked like something is starting to rise from one of them, and it's actually the smoke trail of the uh, of the Thunderbirds. It's kind of extending upward, and here soon you'll be able to see them fly through some of the fireworks here at the very end of the national anthem. Home of the Brave. Okay, there's the ending fireworks, and there's the Thunderbirds flying by. Pretty darn good timing. Oh, what a shame. They were five seconds late. I don't, it depends. I'm not sure exactly where they, they were supposed to be. <laughs> if they were supposed to be right over the top when, you know, I'm not sure. But pretty close, I'd say. They're pretty um, happy. They, they seem to be pretty, they're celebrating. Um, job well done. And uh, this next one is uh, some just a little bit of a clip of uh, uh, the uh, scene inside. I think this was uh, the number two um, uh, guy in the formation. Oh, wait, that's so loud. Mm. Let me, uh, how do I turn that down? Uh, let's see. Let me, because it's just blowing my ears out. Okay. Try that again. There we go. Mm -hmm. That was it. That's and very neat camera, that, isn't it? Lovely. It is. Um, I'm sure that's going... Good thing we don't um, monetize our videos, because I'm pretty sure that uh, an NFL we'll get a strike on that one. <laughs> the NFL themes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah.
Um, should have just turned. No, I think it's nice that they actually did a proper fly pass because they could have pre-recorded that and just mm -hmm. played it over the TV screens in the stadium, couldn't they? They could have, so, yes. Uh, they did yeah. it for real. That's I good. thought that was kind of interesting, and then you know, people that listen to our show, watch our show, I, I thought might enjoy seeing some of the behind-the-scenes coordination for these fly passes. Absolutely, yeah. As I Hall Boxes says, America. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hey guys, just fly left of the MGM pyramid. Right. Yeah. Yep. Of course, you know, with the fireworks going off the top of this thing, uh, it was, yeah, it as you mentioned, it was pretty obvious where they should <laughs> be. <laughs> Coffee fund. Okay. Coffee fun time. Yes. All right. So that means I have to I push a button to make the music start. There we go. <laughs> I was waiting for the music to start. <laughs> Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh yeah, the coffee fund, it's your opportunity to join this wonderful group of folks who support us financially, a couple of different ways to do it. One is the coffee fund classic method, the OG as uh, via PayPal and since no I had it Liz oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, let me go back to that there we go uh, since the last episode we have a couple who uh, used that uh, method the original method to uh, give us a nice contribution Jenny in Rome who uh, does a recurring contribution but I guess she decided that we just needed a little bit more so she gave a little extra so thank you Jenny and Andre uh, Andre Balak. I'm hoping that's Good, the way Andre you pronounce Balak, that, yeah. Andre Balak. Um, thank you so much for your very nice, uh, generous contribution, Andre. And uh, we also have a different way of uh, becoming uh, supporters of the show financially, and that is via Patreon. You can become a patron. And we have a new producer. Yay! Producer Kevin Shaw joined us. So if you're interested in learning how you can also become a producer of the show via Patreon or want to use the OG method, uh, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. Captain, incoming message. All right, let's start off with this from Sam. Intercom and Alaska air accident. He says, APG folks, he says, shorter than or easier than writing out all the names. Yes, APG crew or APG folks, we, we go by any of those. Uh, a question came up about interpilot communications and the Alaska air accident. As Jeff and Nick pointed out, we normally take the ear cup towards the other pilot off so we can communicate. Once we get above flight level 180, we normally turn on the cockpit speakers and take our headsets off off until top of descent when we put the headsets back on. Now, I hear a lot of people do that. This is Jeff talking now. Um, I never I, I never did that. Um, usually, I just left the headsets on the whole time just to kind of try to protect my hearing as much as I could. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I have heard that this is a common, um, common process, especially, I think, in the uh, Airbus world. Um, on the 737, uh, you don't see people doing that because it's just 
really, really deafeningly loud in the 737 cockpits. Um, he said, some 737s do have hot mic switches that can be locked to the on position, either as a Boeing option or, as Jeff said, using a rubber band. And when we put on our oxygen masks, we normally take off the headsets and use the cockpit speakers to communicate with each other and hear ATC. Yeah, I found that that's always the best way to go because it's difficult to get a headset back on once you have the full face mask, oxygen masks and such. Uh, you have to really have those overhead speakers um, on. Uh, the problem is that the accident happened during climb, so the pilots had not yet turned on or turned up the volume on their cockpit speakers. This probably initially led to difficulty communicating with each other and ATC. It seems the crew quickly did the palm slap to the forehead and turned the speakers up. This is like one of the one of the hardest things in an emergency like this, a, a rapid decompression that, you know, just startles you. Uh, you know, when you're in the simulator and you're you're kind of kind of expecting something like to that to happen, it's still disorienting and it's still difficult to get all the communications set up properly. But I can imagine, never happened to me, thankfully, uh, having that kind of an event in real life and you're, you're not expecting it at all. And all of a sudden, boom, and it's just like a big explosion goes off and things are flying everywhere and trying to get your communications set up with your, you know, your oxygen mask on and everything else must be just terribly disorienting and, and uh, difficult uh, to do. But uh, they seem to have done a very good job. Um, he said a minor de missed detail in the emergency procedure, but they did a great job of recognizing and, and accomplishing step number two in the emergency descent memory items checklist crew communications established. Yeah, that's that's what we've been talking about. The crew the crew communications establish is the hardest part of that two step thing. Oxygen masks on one hundred percent. Crew communications establish. That's the tough part. Uh, this is in no way uh, a criticism of the crew. They did a great job by all accounts, according to Sam, and uh, we agree. Thank you, Sam. The one that always used to catch me out, Jeff, was when you got down to ten. And uh, you don't need your oxygen mask anymore. So you take off your headset, take the mask off, dump it down beside you. And the next thing you do, a traffic call you, and you can't speak on the radio anymore. Because <laughs> 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 it was the one thing that was very easy to forget. As you take the oxygen mask out, I'm assuming it's the same on most airplanes, certainly on the Airbuses, uh, you flick a switch um, that transfers the normal uh, microphone from the cockpit um, headset or the handheld mic into the mic that's in the oxygen mask to allow you to speak. Uh, and then in order to return it back to its original setting so that you can use your headset or the handheld mic in the cockpit, when you finish with the oxygen mask, you have to reach into the box and there's a little tag. You have to click it back into place. And then that resets it. And it was an easy thing to forget because when you got down to 10 and all the panic has finished and you go, oh, thank God. Right, we're, we're back in the land where we can take these damn octopuses off our face. <laughs> um, you know, it was very easy to forget. And now you're in Nordo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it used to take like 30 seconds to go, what? 
I'm talking to this guy. Why is Why he can he hear me? Yeah. <laughs> and then the penny would drop. We have a comment from iHall Boxes in our live audience. Um, uh, at at Tim Rapid Decomposition decomp- Boom Maggots Everywhere. Decompression, I think he meant. Okay, I don't, I'm not sure I understand I'm, I'm the comment. I'm not quite sure what the at Tim Rapid. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know uh, what that is either, but he just uh, ended up saying. All right, well, let's just cut that out of the show and pretend, <laughs> pretend like we never saw it. Okay. Um, you know, let's continue with um, some more feedback from Sam, uh, jump into eight. APG Crew, in episode 605, you discussed a Grumman Cougar that had a propeller strike. Just to clarify something, Nick said, by the FAA definition, a prop strike does not need the engine operating. Not sure that he said something different, but I don't remember actually. (laughs) Um, I don't think I was able to say much about that. I'm not qualified. From the Nick Camacho. Oh, Nick Camacho. Ah. He was talking about the shock to the system when the the prop sort of stops. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so Nick Camacho. So you're off the hook, Anderson. Um, From the AD, what's the AD? The um, Something directive? For the purposes of this AD, a propeller strike is defined as follows. I don't know. Anyway, uh, definition of propeller strike. Uh, any incident, whether or not the engine's operating, that requires repair to the propeller other than minor dressing of the blades. I hate it when the blades are not dressed. Um, it's just so scandalous. <laughs> uh, any incident during engine operation in which the propeller impacts a solid object that causes a drop in revolutions per minute, RPM, and also requires structural repair of the propeller, uh, incidents requiring only paint touch-up are not included. This is not restricted to pro- propeller strikes against the ground. A sudden RPM drop while impacting water, tall grass, or similar yielding medium where propeller damage is not normally incurred. Anyway, Sam agrees with Nick Camacho's assessment of the YouTube show. Uh, what is it? Rebuild Rescue, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, my hair stood uh, when I heard the one person talk about a hard timeline they had to meet. As always, great and informative and informative show. It's easy to be put. It's easy to be in the peanut gallery and find a minor fault. Yes, it is. Indeed. <laughs> AD is airworthiness directive. Well, I didn't know. I know that air AD is a airworthiness directive, but I didn't know that that's exactly. I, I thought maybe this was a different type or different AD, but I don't know. Whatever. I think it can also mean aerodrome. Yeah, I don't think we ever use that what over about here. Okay, as a, um, but I like the I like him saying that, uh, and this AD says whether the engine is operating or not. I'm trying to work out how the propeller RPM can be affected if, if the engine is not operating. <laughs> mm, it does actually RPM. say whether the engine is operating or not. Yeah, that's why he put it in bold, I guess. Anyway, yeah. well, again. Thank you for any and all attempts to keep us above 50%. We do appreciate it. (laughs) Indeed. And uh, also, uh, finally, from Sam, um, in the recent uh, Challenger crash near Naples, um, you know, the Hoppajet Challenger 604 crash on uh, I-75, 
I'm sure the NTSB will come out soon with a preliminary report, but this sounds eerily similar to past events where aircraft were fueled with jet fuel contaminated with DEF, which is diesel exhaust fluid. DEF is required to be used, or DEF if, if you prefer. Uh, it's required to be used in diesel trucks in the U.S. and in Jeff's RV. Uh, in several instances, however, FBO, which are fixed base operators, uh, personnel have inadvertently added DEF to fuel truck anti-ice injection system reservoirs instead of jet fuel system icing inhibitors. This has led to several aircraft having one or more engines fail. I'm attaching a copy of the FAA safety alert and a few articles about it, which we'll have in the show notes. Uh, again, it's too soon to make a conclusion one way or another, but this is a case where jet operators should be weary, wary. Um, the only thing I'm wondering about, uh, Captain Nick, is that if it were some kind of contamination with DEF, what, I mean, they, it was like a two-hour flight or something uh, all the way down from Columbus to to Naples. I mean, is there some aspect of having uh, DEF, uh, diesel exhaust fluid, in a, um, jet fuel that would not show up? Uh, you know, like the negative effects wouldn't show up until, you know, burning through most of that fuel load? I, I can't remember anywhere it, you've had a contamination of the fuel that doesn't show up shortly after takeoff, right. except, of course, for the BA777, but that was a different issue. That, that was, was ice. yeah. icing uh, that occurred because they'd done a long, high-level cruise at very cold conditions, and the fuel had partially started to freeze, and which collected over the... Uh, the f filter at the bottom of the tank where they sucked the fuel through and blocked it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you wouldn't normally expect a contaminant to uh, sit around and not affect the engines until landing. You'd expect it to affect them pretty soon. I would, I would think so. But, again, maybe there's some aspect oh, yeah. of this fluid could well be. that... Um, you know, just settles in a certain area and, you know, it, it takes some time for it to you show up Black or something. Is agreeing with it. it might be an icing situation. Yeah. Or, or I do recall that uh, we, I did a story about an Airbus that they had contaminant in the fuel that was the form of little beads uh, that absorbed and uh, that that happened on a 3.30 going into Hong Kong. They'd gone all the way up from Indonesia, quite a long flight, and it wasn't until they started their approach that they have problems. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're, it is possible. Okay. You know what? That's interesting. The feedback uh, from Nick B., in my mind, we had already covered this, but um, apparently not, and I eliminated it from my uh, keynote. Uh, but I think I'll be able to find it Your if Evernote? you just give me. Um, it is in Evernote, I think. Well, no, I don't see it there in my note. Do you? I have very little patience for stupidity. Oh, okay. I now... I'm finally 
back with everybody on earth. Um, hi, hi, Jeff. So, hi. hi. Where, How's it going? What are we doing here? <laughs> so what happened was he did send us some audio feedback and he talked about Hick. And then we had so much fun with Hick. Right, we did. The, uh, which is actually um, an acronym. So he is following up on his earlier feedback about seatbelts and armrests. So here we go. Hi, team. Thanks for reading my feedback in episode 604. Uh, HIC is Head Impact Criterion and is a measure of survivability of a passenger's head hitting the seat in front. I should have explained that, but was trying to keep my feedback brief. Second, Captain Nick asked about crash tests. Absolutely. There's crash test dummies of a seat weight and height with paint on their faces. Excuse me. Of a set weight and height with paint on their faces, high-speed cameras, and sensors on the test rig to determine the results of the HIC test. If and when I have the pleasure of meeting up with the APG team, I'll be glad to show you some photos from a test house and share a bear, a beer, a bear, a beer or two, share a beer or two. I'll be glad to show you some photos from a test house and share a beer or two. It seems like I've been Excellent. drinking a beer or two, and I have not. I think you've got low blood water. sugar. Uh, I probably yeah. do have low blood for sugar now. <laughs> All the best. Work out what airline these dummies work for when they're flying around with paint on their faces and high-speed cameras in the cockpit. So um, I've seen plenty on uh, on Twitter and Facebook. Oh, and Instagram. That's another good place for them. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're in the cockpit though. They're these are passengers, right? Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not positive about that, but I think. <laughs> Oh, I guess we'll expect to hear some more feedback from Nick B um, answering that question. Yeah, it's interesting, though. Uh, I, I remember being very upset with my airline once because um, we have all this equipment in the cabin for the passengers. But on the flight deck, I once got in and the headrest was missing from my seat. So I went... Is that, are we allowed to fly without a headrest? Because in the event of an accident, we're going to, you know, there's nothing to stop your head whiplashing back and breaking your neck. And, uh, you know, if you have a crash landing, the last thing you really want to happen is for the flight deck pilots to um, possibly incapacitated or killed by the lack of a headrest, which is obviously there to protect your head against whiplash. Um, and uh, I, the MEL was dutifully produced, and there it was. It was not required. And I went, well, for all the regulations we have about keeping our passengers safe, why don't we have any to keep our pilots safe? And I was most upset about that. Nick, it has nothing to do with safety. It has to do with a place for us to lean back. When we take our little naps, Sleep. yeah, we have something to <laughs> well, cradle our heads. Well, that was the heads. real reason I wanted it put back, but uh, I wasn't going to tell them that. Right. Well, that's exactly why it is an MEL exclusionary um, kind of item, apparently, because they know yeah. what we use those things for. And I'm a tall bloke, you see, so the top of the seat only came to just below my shoulders, so... You know, if I really had done a bit of whiplash uh, during a nasty incident like leaving the runway uh, and bouncing up and down a bit, I, I think I would have been quite badly injured. 
let's see, IHAL boxes says, doesn't the headrest only protect against forward acceleration? I don't know. Well, only if you think. have the headrest in front of your face. Yeah, that it makes it hard to see the <laughs> instruments and outside the aircraft. Yeah. Come on, let's think here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was thinking the same thing, IHAL boxes, actually. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's continue on, shall we, with uh, this sent in to us from Becky. Um, thought you guys would enjoy this article from the AP, APnews.com. Um, and it has to do with this fine young gentleman of 102-year vintage. Uh, a former Royal Air, Air Force's pilot has taken to the skies in a Spitfire at 102 years old. Jack Hemmings, ex-squadron leader with Britain's Air Force, is believed to be the oldest pilot to fly the World War II plane. His 20-minute flight from an airfield in southern England on Monday was to raise money for a charity he co-founded nearly 80 years ago. Oh my gosh. The veteran, who had never flown a Spitfire before, said it was absolutely delightful being back behind the controls, uh, though he said the ride was very bumpy. To be honest, it felt a bit rusty. Not surprising, I'm rusty, he said. Hemmings was raising funds for Mission Aviation Fellowship, a humanitarian air service he helped launch after World War II alongside D-Day veteran Stuart King. The organization has since grown into a Christian organization that uses planes to deliver relief, medicine, and emergency cargo to countries in need. The flight marked 80 years since the D-Day landings and paid tribute to King, who died in 2020. Hemmings previously performed aerobatics on his 100th, 100th birthday and raised more than 40,000 pounds, about $50,000 for the charity. Barry Hughes, a pilot who accompanied Hemmings in the aircraft, said the veteran had a natural touch. He didn't need any instruction, really. He just took control, flew us around, made some turns and basic maneuvers. I think he really enjoyed every single moment of the flight. Now, it doesn't say here, um, maybe you know, uh, Nick, I, I don't know if you know who this gentleman is or whatever, but... Um, no, I hadn't heard of him before, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, and, and I looked, uh, even all these little captions of all these photos, um, to see if they mentioned what he did fly in World War II. But um, no, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't able to see, they never mentioned. I guess whoever was writing the article didn't think it was that important. No, it is a shame because it's nice to know. I, I suspect if he wasn't a fighter pilot, he was, uh, probably flew bombers. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't say, does it? I, yeah. I, perhaps our staff will try and. Google well, you've got a long way thing. to go, Nick. Um, he's 102, and you're what, 60, 68, 69? Yeah. How old do I have to be before I can get someone to pay for my flight in a Spitfire? <laughs> Um, at least 80, I would think. <laughs> yeah, at least. So you got, you got Sadly, some time yet. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Can All I right. just uh, chime in here for a second? Well, if you want to pop in to the... Yeah, yes, pop in. Please just do. Just a second. I'll be right there. I just wanted to Snap, tell you... crackle, and pop. I'll be right there. Just a minute. Ricicles are twicicles as nicicles. Okay. <laughs> Find yourself, Liz. Find yourself. Okay, so the plane tale that Nick was referring to about the polymer, uh, what were they called? 
superabsorbent polymer spheres was called Mayday, 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 Cafe 780. So in case somebody's interested in playing that for themselves, that's what okay. it's all about. Oh, I love the way that rhymes. Mayday, 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 Cafe. <laughs> yeah. It was in APG 337. Oh, that doesn't rhyme. Yes. You could anyway. have done better, Nick. And what about Jack Hemmings? What did he fly in the war there? Uh, I, I got, I'm sorry, I was looking up the uh, Give me a few minutes. Okay. 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 Well, should we pick our noses, Jeff? No, you keep, keep no, going. Carry keep, on. We're going to keep oh, moving carry on. on. And then she's going to interrupt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'll now, never interrupt again. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Liz. Now she's upset. Oh, well. Um, so we got some uh, feedback from uh, one of our new patrons, uh, Steve oh, Simpson. Um, this is Max Nine versus Seven Three Seven Nine Hundred. Hi, Captain Jeff and the crew. Thank you for a great aviation podcast. And reading my previous feedback, I'm a little confused. As I understand it, the Seven Thirty Seven fuselage is mostly the same design between the Max Nine and the Nine Hundred variant, including the midsection door plugs. Both are made by Spirit Aerosystems on the same line by the same crew. Why then was the Max 9 inspected, but the Dash 900 not? Looking forward to a UK meetup, uh, which would be my first since joining your wonderful community. Kind regards, Steve. Well, I uh, answered Steve and said, that's a good question. In fact, yeah, we were talking about question. the same thing. <laughs> and um, not long after uh, Steve sent this, I saw this on Sunday, January 21st, 2024, the FAA issued a statement on recommending visual inspections of Boeing 737-900ER mid-exit door plugs. As an added layer of safety, the FAA is recommending the operators of the 737-900ER aircraft virtually inspect mid-exit door plugs. Oh, I'm sorry. Visually, <laughs> not virtually. I'm thinking, how are they going to virtually inspect them? Um, using, those, using those headsets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're gonna, Virtual we're reality that inspection we <laughs> going on here. Uh, visually inspect mid-exit door plugs to ensure the door is properly secured. The Boeing 737-900ER is not part of the newer Max fleet, but it has the same door plug design. In accordance with their safety management systems, operators conducted additional inspections on the 737-900ER following the loss of a mid... Okay. Why? Why Why do we have all these extra paragraphs that say the same darn thing as the previous paragraph with a few words like changed around? I don't, I don't get it. I guess oh, I'm never going to be a journalist, Nick. I don't write like this. <laughs> I think you make a very good one, though. Oh, I don't think so. Because you wouldn't say the same thing three times. Yeah, well, they wouldn't know what to do with me. Um, yeah, so uh, they uh, we have the uh, the SAFO or SAFO, uh, S-A-F-O, safety alert for operators uh, included, and it will be in the show notes for your perusal. Thank you, Steve. And uh, we're going to continue yeah, on. Good job, Steve. With uh, this from Richard. Um mm. Flight deck or flight crew? Hello, Jeff and Nick. Oh, how did he know it was just going to be the two of us on the show when we were covering this? Um, Interesting. I, well, you know what? I think he's specifically 
addressed it to the two of us, Nick, because he knows that we're all the old codgers. Yes, the old codgers are always. We've got nothing better to do. (laughs) Than to complain. Um, Maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I feel myself getting more and more irritated by the little things. My triggers lately are people taking photos of lovely landscape scenes, such as a beach or fields or some nice country hills and in portrait mode on their phones and losing half of the view. Oh, People, join the club. You've only just discovered that be, that's annoying? Oh, maybe hell. it's maybe it's been annoying him for a long time, just as it annoys the two of us. In fact, there's a reason, Nick, why they call it landscape mode. Yes, indeed. <laughs> because that's Good what you point, use Jeff. when you take well pictures of landscapes. Come on, people. Yeah. Use your f-ing heads. Uh, excuse me, I should probably <laughs> should probably delete that from the uh, actual show. I don't think use, effing is actually against the rules. F- I think effing you're is like effing him, right? Isn't that a, yes, a, a nice little yes. village in uh, in England? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so he continues on with uh, people uh, constantly using the word literally for no reason at all. For example, the plane literally landed on the runway. Another would be people starting all of their sentences with the word, so. So what I'm thinking here is that uh, <laughs> that Richard is literally getting upset uh, by a lot of things. Like. <laughs> like. Um, <laughs> you know, I... I sent, um, I sent, I pimped him a little bit. I said, I responded to him and said, yeah, I, I agree. There are a lot of things that really trigger me as well. Like for instance, people misspelling the word loose or losing, which he did Burn. actually in his, <laughs> his feedback. And, uh, he thought it was kind of, uh, amusing. Um, anyway, let's continue with his feedback. Anyway, I've worked at the airport for a long time and one things and one things that used to get my goat. Thing. Maybe one thing. Okay. There are, there's another error, Richard. Okay. Anyway, I've worked at the airport for a long time. And one thing that used to get my goat was when people referred to the pilots as flight deck. Where's the flight deck? Someone would ask to which I'd reply. It's there at the front while looking at the flight deck. Usually the response was one of utter confusion or a sarcastic, oh, very funny. Imagine my horror and confusion when Nick kept referring to the pilots as flight deck while talking about accidentally blowing emergency slides in episode 605. Uh, This had me question myself on so many levels. (laughs) Have I been wrong all these years? No, surely not. It must be you guys. Anyway, please refrain from doing this in, f- in the future. And I want a full and complete explanation in the next episode. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> Literally, Richard. <laughs> well, now we, we failed uh, on the count of uh, we didn't do it in the next episode. No, we uh, It's one. a couple episodes since 605. Um but um, I don't know. I'll let I'll let Mister uh, Captain Nick Anderson um, explain, e- himself. explain himself. Well, do I have to justify this? Uh, all right, flight deck crew is the full term, as opposed to the cabin crew. But after a while, you get a bit bored saying 
three words when two words would suffice since it's a repetition of what you previously stated. Now, I may or may not have started off by saying flight deck crew and then <laughs> cut the word crew out, but that's kind of what that's I meant. That's getting pretty sloppy, right. Nick. But Yeah, I know. I'm very sloppy. I would like to <laughs> interject... You could say cockpit crew. I could. I, yeah, we could take one of those words, uh, you know, and go from three words, flight deck crew, to cockpit crew, which is two well, words. Well, it's number of syllables. It, well, it? that's true. That's true. But as you know, that's one of my little pet peeves is that <laughs> I I think that uh, the thing that uh, the pilots sit in and, uh, and fly the aircraft in is a cockpit, not a flight deck. Flight decks, in yeah. my mind, are the things they put on the top you know, deck of an aircraft carrier. The well, words deck. allowed to have two meanings. No, um, no, we're not. So, <laughs> <laughs> not on this show. So it just it, it just means that it's slightly friendlier for the ladies in the company who are going to have to work with us, uh, not to have to say cockpit all the time. But wh- yeah, but so. what's so offensive about saying cockpit? Well, because of the word. Well, but it has nothing Cock to crew. do with uh, anatomy. Yeah, well, you and I know that a cockpit comes from is an old naval term, but that's no reason why we should include it in the aviation. I don't world, know, just because it's think an old naval. I think term. all of this is a bunch of poppycock and uh, <laughs> and a bunch of wokeness gone wild, in my opinion. Well, it's but just that it's been around an awful long time. It has, so it predates woke. So uh, I'm going to have to poo-poo that. I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, I can understand this from UH Blackhawk. Um, when his university went co-ed, the campus bar, the cockpit, was forced to change its name. Yeah, I can see that maybe in that instance. Yeah. Ludger's got it. Oh, Ludger uh, said Jack Hemmings flew Airspeed Oxford's Lockheed Hudson's and DC-3 Dakota's. In World yes, War II. I have a, a bit more information to share with you about uh, Mr. Oh, Hemmings. Please do. Please do. Okay. He, was a, he was a squadron leader with 353 Squadron. He flew the Lockheed Hudson to protect the Bay of Bengal from Japanese invasion. He was awarded oh. the Air Force Cross for exemplary, exemplary gallantry. Um, and that's, and then Ludger has a bit more information. So he was a squadron leader out in India. Excellent. Wow. Wow. There you go. Exemplary gallantry. Whoa, say mm-hmm. that five times fast. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Very nice that he's still ticking over at 102 and flying yeah. in the Spitfire. Wow. Wow. What a career. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So have, have we put flight deck crew to bed now? I, you know, I don't, I don't let, I, it doesn't bother me like, um, Potable and, and potable uh, do, and or few fewer and less uh, does. But um, I've kind of gotten used to either usage, flight deck, or cockpit. Even though we always talk about those reinforced cockpit doors, uh, and and a lot of the things. It's funny though. It's it, over over the years when they keep rewriting volume ones and volume twos, you know, the, the pilot operating manuals and stuff, uh, how more and more things have, have switched from cockpit to flight deck. 
um, just to be, you know, correct, politically correct. The cocked up crew, I haul boxes says. Cocked up crew. I think that could be a title. (laughs) Cocked up crew (laughs) instead of the cockpit crew. Oh, I I do like that. Very clever. I feel a title coming on. Okay. Well, I think we've we've flogged that dead horse about as much as we can. Uh, so Richard, you know, literally, we hope that uh, you are, uh, are, are recovered, are recovered from from this. And if not, I, I, I don't know what else to do except for maybe just <laughs> drink heavily. That's my solution for a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, indeed, I, I, I've resorted to that myself. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Some All audio, right. Jeff, coming up. Some audio. Some audio is coming up. Oh yeah, look at that. Okay, I'm actually uh, ready for this. I believe. If what number if, are we now? Then we're now on uh, nine. nine. Okay, number and nine. And we're going to okay. add this to the how I got here. And uh, this is from Bill in Toronto, or YYZ as he characterizes it. Zed. Oh YYZ, my bad. <laughs> my <laughs> yes, gosh. Thank you. It's Canadian. Hi, Captain Jeff and esteemed APG crew. Bill in Toronto here. I recently started contributing as a producer, and I just wanted to let you know how I got here. Around July of 22, uh, I was listening to the 100th episode of the A320 podcast, and Captain Nick was on as a guest, and he did a plane tail on the CFM56 engine, which powers many or most of the CEO model 320s. It was awesome, and I just love how Nick puts on his storytelling voice, and he weaves such a great tale. After the plane tale, he chatted with Matt and Andy, and uh, I think Captain Al was there as well. They mentioned the A3, or sorry, the APG podcast, and it sounded interesting, so I checked it out, and I've been listening ever since. It occurred to me, since I never miss an episode, your podcast is worth listening to, and anything worth listening to must be worth contributing to. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Bill. I want more details on who Bill is, though. I want yeah, we wanted oh, Elizabeth saying nice, want, she wants Bill more is. details about Bill. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yankee, Indeed. Yankee, Zulu. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to go put producer how I got here, you've got to tell us how you got here. Yeah. <laughs> that is Well, I suppose he did a little did, bit, didn't he? How he got to the APG. But we'd love to learn more about Bill himself. And another thing I'd like to learn more about what do you mean a plane tail on the A320 podcast? <laughs> I thought you. I thought we had an exclusive relationship, Nick. Uh, well, it was a bit looser back then. We hadn't. We hadn't finished signing the contracts. <laughs> you hadn't said your I, vows. That that hurt no. me. I mean, it really yeah, hurt I'm me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Of course. Um, I, I, yeah. Actually, you know, I don't even remember what I did. But there you go. It can't have been that good. It was more than a couple of weeks ago. It's hard to remember yeah. anything beyond that. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> At least for me. Oh, anyway, well, thank you, Bill and YYZ um, for sending in yeah. the uh, feedback. Well, I, I, I went ahead and okay. gave that to you, Liz, because it is Canadavia. So. Canadavia, exactly. <laughs> Canadavia. Um, oh, this, Number this 10. is, We've this only is got a good two to one. Go. <laughs> so, this is from Sam Reynolds. Not Sam Dawson. Not Dawson. He's a first-time feedbacker. He says, hello, APG crew. I'm a long-time listener, but my first time submitting feedback. It feels as though I've been taking you all to work with me for the last six-plus years as part of my morning commute. So I felt compelled to write in thanking you all for write in, 
thanking you all for keeping me company, especially during the hard mornings. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. Well, that's hard mornings. Oh, those are, hard are mornings. A good thing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> They're fewer and fewer nowadays. <laughs> I knew that was coming, as it were. <laughs> that sounds like a personal problem. No problem here yet. Yeah. I was first introduced to the show when I heard Captain Nick talking as a guest on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Wow, this is one of those shows where everything is centered around Captain Nick Anderson. He he and (laughs) Stefan, they're out there all over the place. I know, that's great. Um, Anyway, so uh, Captain Nick was uh, uh, a guest on the Airplane Geeks podcast. I was fascinated about his story, living life as a fighter pilot, and made me search for your podcast. As he mentioned, he was one of the hosts. I remember one particular episode when he talked about his days flying around RAF Leeming in North Yorkshire. Leeming? Oh, even no, Leeming. Too- oh, Leeming. Sorry, my bad. My oh, bad. wow. I'm a sorry. Yes. So I'm my producer bad. interrupts me to correct me. And she's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was no, wrong. No. I, Although we Lemming would have been a suitable name, most of them all just jumped <laughs> off cliffs anyway. So, <laughs> okay, where were we? Um, okay, Leeming. Uh, Leeming. When he, w- he was talking about his days flying around RAF Leeming in North Yorkshire, which is where I used to live, the story really resonated with me as that had always been my childhood dream of being able to fly something like the tornado. Even though I recently learned Nick seems to despise it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, horrible bloody airplane. Thank but after you. listening to a recent episode of Plain Tales, I can see why. Nonetheless, all very fascinating to hear Nick's journey and just wanted to say how much I appreciate you sharing your aviation stories with us all. We all do appreciate him wow, sharing those stories, uh, Sam. Um, Let's see. Let's continue on with his feedback a little about myself. I live in a place called Bath in the UK, which I'm sure Captain Nick will be oh, familiar indeed. with. Oh, indeed. I had a grandmother that lived in Bath, yeah. Was she very clean? Yeah. <laughs> Extremely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a private pilot and enjoy flying around the Cotswolds. Did I say that right? Cotswolds, yeah. Um, mainly yeah, out of Kemble Airfield. Thanks for your confidence. Also known as Cotswold Airfield. Out of curiosity, I wonder if Captain Nick had ever been stationed there. No, it was uh, winding up when I was uh, around the Air Force. It was mainly uh, used by Central Flying School, as I remember, but uh, in the old days. Okay. So uh, Nick's, what is your your mother or uh, your aunt? Grandmother. 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 So my grandmother es- lived in Bath. Bath. Yes. Okay. So what we've established is your your grandmother was a very clean lady, and uh, you have not flown out of uh, Cotswolds, out of Kemble, no, or Kemble. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, keep up the great work. Looking forward to many more shows ahead for me, and I'm sure for many others out there. The show is a perfect balance of aviation-related material without being too serious along with general life stories, such as the getting to know us segment. For that reason, it's much more than an aviation podcast. I remember on a relatively recent episode that someone left somewhat negative feedback on that part of the show. This goes without saying, but that listener is probably one of the very few, if not entirely by himself, with that opinion. I find myself occasionally laughing out loud to some of the content and really does brighten up my day. However, I'm sure if people are watching me when stopped at a red light, manically laughing to myself, 
perhaps it could cause concern. With that said, they probably know that it's just one of the many side effects of APG syndrome and perhaps even sympathize with me. Uh, I certainly do. Yeah, yeah, I feel very, very sorry for you. Uh, and finally, Captain chair. Jeff, congratulations on your retirement. Thank you. You made it. I look right. forward to future RV adventures and uh, adventure stories. Yes, I will give you plenty of them, I hope. Hopefully, they'll be all good. Uh, also, is this really Nick Anderson? He must have taken retirement earlier than I thought. All the best. <laughs> So there, there's a, a picture that I have young not seen of, uh, yeah, younger Nick Anderson. Um, and, Look at uh, those teeth. I've got great teeth. You have great teeth. Good hair, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I've I got don't, a bit of a high forehead, I reckon. <laughs> well, that, because great. you have such a big brain. Um, I think that this came from, this is a screenshot, I believe, from Apple Podcasts. I've, I've seen this myself somewhere. And I think that some kind of an algorithm somewhere. Well, first of all, it says hosts and guests of APG are just three of us. There's just me, Jeff, Nick Anderson with a, a improper or wrong photograph, and um, and you're the only one that has a photo, by the way. <laughs> the rest yeah, of us just have letters. Is completely wrong. <laughs> and then Stephanie Plummer. So Jeff. Nielsen, Nick Anderson, and Stephanie Plummer. What about Miami Rick? What about Nick Camacho? What about our producer, Liz? No, that's not in there at all. They've completely screwed that up. We don't rate. Just that yeah. Nick Anderson. I don't know what's there. going on. I did, I actually, when I first saw this, Nick, I did some research on Nick yeah. Anderson, and I think that there's a famous Nick Anderson who's a basketball player. Sure. Oh. oh, there's a musician, and oh. there's also Nick Anderson. So actually, it's great because, uh, you know, if you Google yourself, you often find uh, ne very negative things uh, on the internet about you. But if I Google myself, lots of other people come up, so that's great. Yeah. I think there's some kind of a hockey player or something like that named Jeff Nielsen that usually is pops up the mm. uh, first couple of pages, which is good. I don't want Indeed. you to be reading any bad stuff about me. Mm -mm. Um, okay. Okay, one last one. One last one. Oh, this is going to be a nice audio. shorter show for a change. That's not good. Not much. But oh, not much shorter. No, that's right. Oh, well, sort of. A little bit shorter. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, we have some audio feedback from our friend Paul. Hello, APG crew. This is Paul. I live between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. It's National Cabbage Day. I'm always on the hunt for good sauerkraut. I've been tardy <laughs> and creating this feedback so forgive me. Retard. No, tardy. I will be in Seattle April 21st through the 23rd. Let's meet up somewhere and geek out on Metal of the Flies. Captain Jeff and some of the other crew have my contact information. Again, invitations for any of the APG crew to meet up would be really sweet. Sweeter than my chocolate chip cookies. I hate to say it, but I have no questions for you in this feedback. I know you're breathing a sigh of relief. I do have some things I would like to share. Since Spirit Aerosystems, Boeing, and Airbus have been in the spotlight lately, I figured I'd share some safety culture behaviors in the nuclear plant in which I worked. To me, safety culture starts at home, where behaviors develop and eventually translate into personal safety and good job performance. Let's start with the slip simulator. Picture a hard glass-like waxy surface. You put on shoes with plastic cleats. The cleats are made out of a very high hard plastic. 
Now spray some water on the surface and make it extra slippery. And there you have what comes pretty close to being as slippery as ice. You strap on a harness for fall protection and you hook it to a beam above you. The beam is about 20 feet long as is the slippery surface. Now go ahead and try to walk on it as people try to distract you with throwing sponge balls. Everyone that works at the site, including contractors, has to go through the slip simulator at least once. Contractors, as well as the employees, are treated exactly the same as far as safety concerns, product quality, and job performance. An example of this would be if a contractor gets hurt, not only do the contractors get less of an annual safety bonus, but the same is true for the plant employees. Everybody has to watch out for each other. The company allows you to take PPE home for personal use. I'm talking things like gloves, safety glasses, hard hats, earplugs, etc. Now if there's something more significant such as a piece of safety equipment such as fall protection, you're able to take it and return it later. If you saw anybody, for example, like the company president walking around outside while texting or looking at their cell phone, there would be no problem if you stopped them and coached them not to do that. No questions asked. Anybody from new part-time toilet polisher on up can stop a job at any time if they saw something. For example, if a person is merely collecting trash, they can stop a 30-ton lift if they see something. The work shall be put in a safe condition, then a discussion of what was seen will take place, and then a decision will be made of what to do next. One of the corporate mottos, you always have time to do the job safely and correctly. Okay, my three minutes are up. Hopefully, I'll see people in Seattle. Have a great day. See ya. You know what's really impressive about that, Paul? Thank you for sending in the audio. Uh, is the fact that the whole time he was doing that, he was playing the drums. That, yeah, that I know. He's got a really good rhythm as well. <laughs> really? That's excellent. <laughs> yeah. I've I, I got to take I, my hat off to you. That was I, I good do piece. have a question about... Um, okay, everybody. Come outside. <laughs> Slip and slide. Oh yeah. So yeah. I, I'm so, not. I maybe I missed something. But what was the entire point about the slippery surface and the harness and walking? Was it something maybe about heavy water leaking or something on the floor? And they. I don't. I mean, that's. What I'm thinking. Well, yeah. Just are the floors around the nuclear plant power plant like super slippery or something? I don't. I don't know, or it was just it just happened to be something that you had to focus and concentrate on, and you couldn't let distractions throw you off and make you fall. Down. I don't know, Paul. I, I'm more confused than ever. Yes. So uh, you're um, easily confused, Jeff. Well, I am. Right that's it. true. Especially when but, he's hungry. That's true, Bob. Um, <laughs> I'd like to point out that yeah. uh, the. Um, Pictures of the crew. Oh, you're still hung up on your picture. <laughs> well, they're still there. So that's well, I mean, how was that supposed to change? <laughs> well, I don't know, but I, I don't know how I guess that. Can't you find uh, Tim Cook at Apple? And- <laughs> it's just at the bottom of the show notes. When I know. You go it's, to it's, the part show of the, it's part of the information of there the APG show, there's, which there's is put me on. in the middle. I know. Yeah. Well, we had that. We showed that on the screen earlier. Yeah, I know. It's just that I I thought by now you would have fixed it. Oh, I see. 
<laughs> now it's my fault that they have the wrong. How am I? How am I supposed to do that? Well, I know Who they, am I supposed to talk must, to? When you get in the RV, you drive out to the Apple headquarters I'll in do California. That. When I'm in the RV, yeah, I'll make a trip out to California, Northern California, and while I'll, I'll take a little break from seeing Jim, uh, who lives up in that area, um, well, Jim and then may I'll. Know the- Maybe yeah, maybe Jim knows. Uh, He's a smart bloke. You see. Yeah, Tim. Uh, hey Tim, Jim, Tim could you Jim, do do Tim me a favor? Fix it. <laughs> Tim's gone. Tim's gone now. Um. Okay, wrapping up. I'm talking about. Oh, is that it? Um, Are we going home now? Are we finished. I'm talking about the Apple CEO. He's gone. Yo, Tim Cook. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's who I'm talking about. Oh, you thinking I'm talking about Tim Van Ram? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's what I, I was think thinking. Gonna, I didn't think that I was a good I, idea. I don't think Tim Van Ram's going to make any any noticeable difference in in anything to do with uh, <laughs> iTunes and podcasts and stuff like that. But I could be wrong. Tim might prove us wrong. He has contacts. I bet. you might have contacts there. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm at a loss, Captain Anderson. I don't know what to. Well, do. there's got to be a way for podcast owners to report errors that are that they. Well, I think you should look into that then. <laughs> <laughs> because mine is just fine. I don't I'm have just a, a underling here. <laughs> I I really honestly don't think there's anything. I think it's just like an, an automatic, like an algorithm thing that just sees a name and goes, "Oh, it's a podcast." <laughs> picks, a, that's name. Boom. A that picture must be of him. a random person <laughs> and sticks them in. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I noticed that you only come up as JN. Well, that's because if they don't have a picture, then they put your initials, just like any kind of a thing on your phone, like in messages and stuff like that. If you don't have a picture associated with the person, then they just like, for instance, right now, Liz Piper is LP. Here I am. All right. So. Okay, let's wrap it up. Liquid Petroleum. Wrap it up. Okay, time to wrap it up. Oh, thankfully. Um, uh, How do we do that? Oh, we go this we look at the screen and see that there's a banner there that says airlinepilotguide.com which is my cue to talk about our website we are in the midst i think of um kind of uh switching servers and getting the the s added to the http uh to be a secure socket layer thing and but be rest assured uh, if you get a warning and when you try to go to our website that says it's not secure it's okay because we don't ask any personal information we don't get gather any personal information about you or credit card information or anything um, that's all through third party you know links and stuff like that so you know you can rest assured we're not going to steal your your private privacy data and do something with it because I frankly really wouldn't know <laughs> we what to know do with now. it. <laughs> we don't even know our own identity. We can't even figure out how to get yeah. rid of a picture that's not the right picture. <laughs> True. Anyway, uh, so uh, there are some things going on in the background. So uh, hopefully we'll have more information about that here in the future. Um, we also are on social media, or some of us are <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to let Nick tell you all about that. Uh, yeah, if you're a follower on uh, Facebook, then uh, you need to look for Airline Pilot Guy, all one word, and you'll find what we stick in Facebook, which isn't a great deal. Uh, on X, that's X Twitter, um, oh, we're at APG Crew. Twitter, uh, 
That's all one word. <laughs> and uh, it's very similar on the Instas, on Instagram. We're just APG Crew, and all you'll find there is the artwork, and you might get an advanced look at that. And, of course, if you want to see the whole uh, sausage being made, all the maggots and all, uh, <laughs> oh. go to youtube.com forward slash airline pilot guy. Again, Thanks all for that. one word. Mm. Jeff, and, you want to talk about the two uh, email oh, addresses? Yeah, let me do that. Uh, before we uh, move into Slack, let me tell you uh, that we've received a bunch of uh, great responses uh, regarding the Mooch Docking Database uh, for my future RV travels. Um, that address is rv at airlinepilotguy.com. Just make sure you put in the, the um, subject field, something to do with RV or, you know, boondocking or mooch docking or something like that so we'll know you know that that's really information what we've got yeah we certainly do appreciate everything i mean we I, I have to tell you that there are so many very generous offers or uh, officers offers out there probably generous officers too could be uh officers Ossifers? <laughs> oh, no. um, anyway, a bunch of great uh, offers out there uh, all over our wonderful country. Uh, and who have, the Yukon. And, oh, yeah, the Yukon territory as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's just blowing us away. That, so thank you so much. It's going to be so much fun when I'm out there on the road full time and I can just call up Liz and say, hey, Liz, this is where yeah. I am. Look at, yeah. look at your map and tell yeah. me where, who's closest to me. Because I yeah. need a place to spend the night. Anyway. Um, and we did mention this other one before. But yeah, we did mention the meetup at airlinepilotguy.com as well. If you are um, interested in becoming part or uh, participating in a meetup Going or Seattle with Paul making or? your own meetup uh, like Paul out in Seattle. Again, uh, he mentioned it in his audio feedback. Though, so if you're... Uh, in the Seattle area and you want to meet up with Paul and other APGers and, and who knows, maybe even one of us, um, hard to say at this point. Um, but what do you say? April, what? 21st, 21st through the 24th, something like that. Later, the last part of April. Up in Manitoba. Yeah. I might be in Manitoba looking at my RV being built on the, uh, on the line, uh, at that time. But anyway, we'll, uh, play it by ear. So there you go. So you have RV at AirlinePilotGuy.com, meetup at AirlinePilotGuy.com, and all that stuff. And uh, well, we're where's, where's also on Slack. And so, Captain Nick, since you're uh, the one that uh, hangs out in Slack all the time, and, and uh, maybe you could tell us about Slack. <laughs> Nick, okay, tell us about Slack. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. No, it's Halal that tells us about Slack. My bad. I sorry, I'm sorry to put you on the <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot there. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Woohoo! <laughs> he gets so excited. <laughs>
He loves it, doesn't he? He loves his soap. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. And uh, Liz, make yourself um, Here present. I am. There you go. Yay. Thank you, Liz, Hi, Liz. for well all the work good you do. Good job. Thank you very much. It was fun, you guys. It was a good show. Trying to corral the, uh, the, the misfits uh, while we're doing the show and all the work that <laughs> you do before and after. I definitely think you've got low blood sugar, Jeff. I'm a little worried about you right now. <laughs> and you should be. And uh, finally, we'd like to thank our live audience uh, yes, being sir. with us as they are every, nice. every week. The usual crew, plus and a few others that yeah. we sometimes see. Yeah, for, uh, welcome to those who uh, are just joining us for the first time. Hopefully, <laughs> we didn't uh, scare you off, scare you away. Great comment by IHOL Boxes. Uh, perhaps Hillel should, the IHOL Boxes says, perhaps Hillel should visit Bath, Bath, UK. He's always yes, in the bathroom. Perhaps he should. He'd be right at home there, I'm sure. Yep. All right. It's the I Hold Boxes quoting Shakespeare there. He's written Vizzy, Vizieth. Perhaps Hillel should Vizieth bar. <laughs> oh, that was Shakespearean. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I wasn't Visit sure what to both. make of that. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's just go ahead and end this thing before. Yes, just let's end it all. Let's just, just end it all. The tubes. All right. Wishing you all clear skies. Oh, before I do, uh, sometimes you'll hear me say, wishing you uh, clear skies, unlimited visibility, and talons, Douglas. And the reason for that is because that's a, a little homage that uh, we make to our good friend and uh, fellow uh, aviator um, and mayor of Oshkosh for I don't know how many years, uh, Glenn Towler, who um, died uh, way too early uh, in, in this uh, in his life, and uh, we miss him so much. He uh, he sent us some audio feedback at one point. Uh, saying that the uh, the auto caption auto captioning in YouTube um, it sometimes puts out really interesting words, uh, th- uh, trying to interpret what we're saying. And apparently, when I said um, "tailwinds" and "God bless," it interpreted as me saying "talons" and "Douglas." So that's so he used to end his audio feedback with talons douglas Love and it. so it's my way of become a thing remembering and honoring and paying oh, homage yeah. to to glenn so glenn if you're listening uh, we hope you are and we miss you and we're we're hoping you're having a, a great time in the sky and with that wishing you clear skies unlimited visibility talons douglas all the best everyone bye see you next time Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly a oh, Airline pilot guy
got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline 